Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 377. I am Peter and unfortunately Matt had a last minute appointment change this week so he's missing a second episode but he'll be back next week, do not fear. Uh, but actually do fear because that means that it's just Connor this week. Yeah, it's a good job I was free again, isn't it? Well, you're already on. It, we did just recorded at a different time, probably, but uh, you were yeah, already no, you were already slotted in for the recording this week. So yeah. here we are. It's a ginger palooza. I don't know. It's... That's the best you can come up with. Oh. Your brain really just stopped that, didn't it? Ginger shindig, ginger. There's there's no word for like gathering or party beginning with G. Okay. It's, it's, it's... You... Gathering. You just said it. Oh, but the gathering's not it... fancy enough. Gathering's too basic. Mm. It's also a hard G. I was looking for a soft G to go with ginger. Oh, well, you didn't specify that. Is it really? I mean, that even counts as alliteration. Ginger and gathering. I don't know if I'd count that as alliteration. Does if you write it down. <laughs> no, it doesn't. The sound's important. It's not. It's all about the letter. No, the sound's the important part. It's all about the look of the word when it's written. No, no, no. You can have completely different letters, but if it sounds the same, then that's alliteration. No, no. It's all about the look of the word. <laughs> the look of your face is getting my nerves. Uh, welcome, everyone. This is the DC Comics Podcast. Uh, we get together and we talk about the DC books we read this week. Coming up on this week's show, we have Batman and Robin issue two. We got Green Lantern issue four, World's Finest Teen Titans issue four, we got Wesley Dodds the Sandman issue one, Danger Street issue ten, and Batman City of Madness issue one. So that is what's coming up on the show this week. Plus there is some news to talk about, so we'll get into that. Um, they left solicits a week later this month, uh, always it feels that way. I suspect the fact that they already did January's first week of solicits and last month's solicits means that they can be a little bit later. I guess. So, I, I, here we are. I think it's more just they had New York Comic Con announcements to make. Mmm, possibly. They could have still done solicits, though. Could they not? I guess Comic Con's still going on right now, but... Yeah, they, they, they had the first panel on... On Friday? Was it Friday? They had the panel that announced a lot of the books. So I guess the solicits would have been out a few hours. I mean, they could have held them back a couple of hours, I suppose, but... I don't know. Uh, but either way... Uh, solicits will be next week. We'll get all the rest of the stuff then. Uh, but we have some news and whatnot. But uh, do not fear, because we start with Connor's favorite segment, as we always do. Also, Matt's favorite segment. It's everyone's favorite segment, really. It's so popular. Everyone loves it. So, really doing a lot of heavy lifting there. That word, everyone. <laughs> everyone. Yeah, everyone. means exactly what it means. Uh, it's the Comixology Top 10, everyone. We'll look at what sold the best as of right now on Comixology from Tuesday and then Wednesday, because that's how they split them up. So we'll look at Tuesday first, which is the DC day. Uh, any guesses as to what number one is as of right now on Comixology's rankings? Oh, I forgot to get up the list. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say maybe <laughs> it's the new Batman book. What do you have to get up the? It, it, this is the DC day. This is the books you I know, read. I know, but I, yeah, but there, there might be other books. See, Danger Street. I forgot about Danger Street because I didn't read it. I'm gonna go with Danger Street. No, on both uh, accounts, they were both wrong. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, 
see, this is because I forgot about Danger Street. That that usually sells quite well, and I, I didn't read it, so it didn't exist without me looking at the list. Number one was Batman and Robin, issue two. It's a little bit sad. <laughs> number two is Batman, City of Madness. Number three is Wesley Dodds, The Sandman. Number four is World's Finest Teen Titans, which tells me that Sandman did quite well, because the Mark Wade books have been pretty comfortably doing well on these these rankings, uh, both this and, you know, the, the main World's Finest book. So the fact that doesn't tell me that World's Finest did mediocre. It tells me that Sandman did better than I would have expected. So fair play. Uh, number one, could uh, we'll see how number two does. You know, issue ones tend to get a bit of a bump, even on the digital stuff. Well, I know. I'm not, I'm not saying that's, it means it's going to stay that way. I'm just, you know, but issue one, I wouldn't have expected to be that, that high. That's fair. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, number five is Green Lantern, issue four. Number six is Danger Street. Number seven is Superman Lost, issue seven. Uh, and then things get weird because apparently Marvel put out some classic issues on Tuesday <laughs> because next up is What If, number six. Number nine is What If, number 19. Number 10 is What If, number 13. And then the rest of the, the chart for Tuesday is all a bunch of classic What If issues for Marvel. So clearly they put out a bunch of shit in Tuesday that's just infested the uh, the, the charts here. Uh, I have to scroll quite a bit to even get anything else like Mad Magazine or a Critical Role collection that was out, but as per usual, it's usually just DC releasing uh, on a Tuesday for new stuff. So yeah, uh, so yeah, not, not a ton of stuff there. Uh, if you look at Wednesday, and I have to scroll further than normal because all those stupid classic Marvel books, uh, any guesses as to what number one on Wednesday's comics is? I know normally I go with an X-Men book, and there is a couple of X-Men books out that it could well be, but there's a possibility that it's this uh, Superior Spider-Man Returns issue one. Yes, but there's also a possibility that you're a moron. It's X-Men Red issue 16. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd say I thought a couple. Number two is Superior Spider-Man Returns, uh, which makes me honestly... This makes me feel old, that this is a return of... I remember when Suspiria Spider-Man was a thing, but it was new, and people were complaining about it. Yep, I remember. But also, this really tells you just how well those X-Men books are selling when they're selling above an issue one of a, spy, of a new Spidey book. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, number three is Avengers. Number four is Amazing Spider-Man. Number five is Wolverine. Number six is Guardians of the Galaxy. Number seven is Star Wars Dark Droids. Number eight is Magneto. Number nine is Venom. And number ten... Oh, do we have a non-Marvel book here? The Cull, issue three, a Kelly Thompson book? Yes, it's a six-issue mini. Very good, very good. Uh, five-issue mini. I was going to say, is it five? Oh, it says all six. five on the title, so that's the only reason why I know you're wrong. <laughs> oh, fair enough. I, I, I thought it was a six. Um... Yeah, I'm sad to see like maybe some of the other non-Marvel books not making it in. There's some pretty, you know, good ones out this week. Some high-profile ones as well. Yeah, the next three are all Marvel as well. It's not until you or no, next four. It's not until you get a fifteen, which is Knights issue one, uh, slots in there. Yeah, I don't know what that one is. That's Wyatt Kennedy. It's an image book. The looks of it. I don't know, but I'm I'm surprised. Oh, I see it now. Yeah, it looks kind of. Why were you expecting to be making a Um, splash? Potentially uh, House of Slaughter uh, or uh, Fish Flies, issue two, which is the new Lemire, okay. Brett and Andron book. Both fairly high-profile 
for non for non big two books, both pretty high profile. House of Slaughter is eighteen, and then your other one is like twenty two, but the looks of it. So yeah, yeah. I personally, the the book I'm most excited for this week outside of DC is uh... Sonic the Hedgehog. No, no. I read a good like forty issues of that run though. It's actually pretty solid. <laughs> um, Hunger in the Dusk issue three uh, is is my most. The, the book I'm looking forward to reading the most out of everything else. Hmm. Okay. Which I expect is probably not that high because it's a it's a fantasy book. They don't sell amazingly, but G. Willow Wilson and uh, Christian Walgus are on that. I don't see it, but I, there's more to reveal. Uh, yeah. So there's no way I'm actually going to count all these rows to figure out which, what which number it would be at. But it's, yeah. It's, it's... I, I just, you know, it's a very good book. If If people like fantasy books that you like wilson which you probably do check it out hmm okay well, there you go there's a comic solitary top 10 for the week hopefully some of that was uh enlightening if not downright exhilarating because i know connor's uh he's, he's drinking booze there just to keep his nerves in check booze is coffee is it yeah i don't know it's in a glass i can't tell it's in a mug. It, it it may be a glass mug. It's a, it's a glass but... mug. I, mean, I know there's a handle, but it's still a glass. It, yeah, but it's a mug. I mean, I think, I, to be fair, it's, it's on the camera, that could easily be beer. beer. Like, Who drinks beer in a, in a glass like this? I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> Look, you have a reputation, okay? It's alcohol until proven otherwise. <laughs> No. <laughs> Took you a good 10 seconds to think of that rebuttal. <laughs> yeah, I was like, D does this deserve something witty? Well, no, it doesn't. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it's okay. You decided it didn't deserve something witty. That's how that went down. Anyway, we have news. We have some stuff announced. I suspect there's a few that I don't even have because Connor was implying there was even more than I thought there was. But uh, we'll start off with the ones I've got. Uh, which is we've got a lineup of Elseworlds coming in 2024. Uh, a variety of titles here. Yeah, I, I think this is most of them because I said there were like six books and there's like six Elseworlds books. Is there? Okay, well, yeah. uh, maybe, maybe I do have them all then. But we have uh, Gotham by Gaslight, the Kryptonian Age. Uh, so obviously, Gotham by Gaslight is a classic Elseworlds that were you've, you've at least heard of, if it's, not read. It's very good. I mean, it's it's Mike Mignola drawing it, so even if the story was just mediocre, it's pretty good, but do, do it know, looks gorgeous. I don't think I ever got around to reading Gotham by Gaslight. It's a, it's a pretty quick read. I um, definitely owned a copy of it at some point, back when I had physical trades, and I just don't think I ever actually got around to reading it, but... Oh well, well... Maybe, maybe I'll read it in time for the new one coming out. It's, like, you know, it's pretty... Quick read, really? It's you know, it's like a pretty hefty one shot. Yeah, yeah. I remember it being a thin, but it's like a hundred pages or something like that. If that. Yeah. Uh, Andy Diggle and Leonardo Fernandez are doing a twelve issue sequel to the the nineteen eighty nine one shot. So this is going to be much bigger than the original. <laughs> yeah. So. It's um, it's a lot to live up to art wise as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, 19th century Justice League is what they're doing here. So, this is the, the sort of taking the idea and branching out to the more characters. 
Uh, as they unite against the greatest threat the world has ever known, they will learn their world's secret Kryptonian history. Hmm. Not sure okay. about that, but okay, fair enough. Uh, def definitely out of left field, I'll give it that. Uh, then we have Batman the Barbarian. Uh, so this is Greg Smallwood, both writing and doing the art. Uh, gorgeous front cover, as expected. He, of course, the last we saw him really was on Tom King's Human Target book. So I am delighted for more Smallwood. I have no idea what he's like as a writer, but uh, we'll find out, I guess. So, this is a six-issue miniseries described as a brutal and remarkable retelling of Batman's origins set against a rugged medieval Earth. So, I know we don't like the words Batman origin all that much because we're sick to death of it, but... Oh, Connors went mute. That's fun. He's, he, oh, he's tapping the mic, he's thinking about it. Uh, what I wonder is how the Waynes are going to die in this version. Uh, is it going to be a slingshot? <laughs> Or something to that extent. That's why I wonder. There could be fun to be had there. This is what they call vamping, baby. I'm vamping. Whilst the ginger figures out his tech shit. Uh, I'll go out of the next book because he's 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 taking too long doing this. This is this is uh, shambles. This is. Uh, next up, we got Dark Knights of Steel All Winter, which is a six issue fantasy series by Jay Kristoff and. Tirso Cons, I might be mispronouncing that, it is inspired by Norse mythology and it's set in the same world as Tom Taylor's Dark Knights of Steel. Which, given the title, that's not a surprise. Inter interesting we're getting a spin-off to that. Uh, with so another creative team on it, no less. Uh, the legendary assassin Deathstroke stalks a frozen wasteland, killing for coin... Oh, there we go. He's back. Okay, yeah. it's terrible. Okay, well... Uh, Deathstroke stalks a frozen wasteland, killing for coin among the nation of ever-warring Jarls. Jarls. Fair enough. Uh, but when our murderer for hire finds himself cast in the role of reluctant guardian, when he, uh, when he, uh, when he fight to the end, the icy- Will he fight? That's why that sentence didn't make sense. I was misreading that first word. Yeah. Will he fight to the end? The icy curse destroying his land or be consumed by the sins of his own dark past? Uh, so. You really butchered that last sentence, didn't It's because you interrupted me halfway through with can you hear me nonsense. Oh, I'm so sorry. You, you're just um, a shambles. Any thoughts on this one? Sold. <laughs> of course you are. Sold. Uh, I mean, honestly, Jay Kristoff did, he did one of the stories in, it was something to do with the Dark Knights of Steel. I don't know if it was like a one-shot or something in the middle. Oh, there was like an anthology one-shot in the middle, you're right, yeah. Yeah, he did something in one of those. I don't um, remember if I liked any of those, and if I did, which ones? <laughs> so yeah, um, was it Jay Crystal is known for being a, a pretty typical yeah fantasy author anyway. Uh, not so much as a comic book writer. Mm. So yeah, but yeah, well, well, remains to be seen how I feel about this. Uh, the cover, which does look quite nice art wise, is just a Viking who just happens to have a helmet that's half blue and orange. <laughs> that's that's your Deathstroke outfit for this. You still only got the one eye at least. True, true. Uh, but, you know, the uh, rest I'm, of it's just Viking. Viking Deathstroke. I'm, I'm there. Yeah. I, that, that was enough for me. Uh, then we have Green Lantern Dark, which is uh, Tate Brombal and Weatherdell Adira. Uh, reimagines the sci-fi series as a dark fantasy saga set in a post-apocalyptic Earth. So it's Green Lantern, 
but it's fantasy, but it's post-apocalyptic Earth, which is also still kind of sci-fi, but different sci-fi. Uh, battle between good and evil ended long ago, and now darkness prevails as humanity struggles to survive on a corrupted planet. Only one hero remains, the one who wields the green flame and can return light to a dark world, the Green Lantern. But she's missing, uh, she's been missing for years, and on the isolated island of New England, the horrors only get worse by the night. So we have a female Green Lantern uh, in this dark yeah, fantasy uh, on, version. Honestly, the, uh, the creative team has me sold alone. Uh, I don't know Dave these Rumble. names. Who are these people? Dave so, <laughs> Rumble's been writing with uh, Tynan lately. He's been working on some of his like creator-owned stuff. Oh, okay. You know, like, his on, like imprint, essentially. Uh, he's been doing uh, the oddly pedestrian life of... I can't remember the name. Christopher something or other. Yeah, my thing with this like set of books, and we've got, we've got some more to go still, but when I first glanced at this yesterday... I was like, okay, some of this sounds kind of intriguing, but like after the first couple of books, I was like, I don't recognize any of these names, so I have no idea if I should be I excited think, or not. I mean, so far, I know at least one half of all of the teams. Well, that's good. I mean, I'm not, that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's at, least, at least obviously, like last time, Jay Kristoff, it's more as a as a novelist as opposed to a comic writer, but at least I'm familiar. Uh, this here and whether Delid, uh, Adira uh, does the art for something's killing the children. Yes. Uh, this book here, is their so. father Willer's original? That was terrible. That was awful. <laughs> One of the worst jokes you've ever made. <sighs> I can't be stopped. I cannot be stopped. Oh, All right. We've got Batman Nightfire. What's this? That's, that's a, he's pretty mean in that cover there. This is a six-issue Batman Nightfire written and drawn by the twin brother team of Seth and Clay Man. Well, I know Clay Man's art. Obviously, yeah, we're, we're all familiar with Clay Man. Um, but Seth Man. What name? Seth Man. It's just, it's just Seth Man. <laughs> Seth Man. Uh. And Clay Man. Uh, yeah, it's described yeah. as a mind-expanding mystery, beautifully counterbalanced with explosive action that sees Bruce Wayne travel to the past to fix a devastating tragedy. But what secrets does Batman hold so tight that he would watch Gotham be reduced to ashes? What truths are exposed when there is nowhere left to hide? Uh, given that almost all Batman stories are about how he will, like, he will stop at nothing, nothing's worth letting Gotham fall. Telling me there's a story here that something's worth it to him to let Gotham die is a bold move and we'll see how it plays it out for them, Cotton. I think there's a little bit where he gets an extra bit of slack compared to most just by nature of it being an Elseworlds. Sure, right? sure. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know, maybe Seth Mann is a, is a good solid writer, we, we'll find out, but at the very least it'll probably look good because Clay Mann you know, he's a pretty great artist. You know, we, we've, mm. we've seen that for years at this point. Yep, uh, next up we got DC vs. Vampires World War V, 12 issues by Matthew Rosenberg and Otto Schmidt, which is the team from the original book. However, the caveat here is that it's the team barring Tynan who worked on the first half of it, and then noticeably <laughs> the quality dipped heavily in the second half, which... I don't think I finished the book. I think <sighs> I might have one issue left. I mean, I don't... Because I was just so checked out by the end. 
there's a chance that maybe this will be good because it's something Rosenberg's developed from scratch. You know, this is something that he's worked on from the start. As opposed to just working on a plan. Yeah. Yeah. That may- maybe it'll it'll work better than his half did of and I say his half. I think he still scripted the first half, but he did. Yeah. It seemed like once he got to the second half it didn't feel like it had much of a direction. Uh or it was it was drawing, it was like stretching out one simple thing over six issues and the second half really suffered because I really liked the first half of the book. So I mean, it's interesting we're getting a couple of sequels to Elseworlds we had in the last year or two. And uh, interestingly, like retroactively making them officially Elseworlds, I assume they'll have that banner on reprints of that trades. Oh yeah, possibly. I mean, I mean, yeah, really that like, they were Elseworlds. They just weren't like they haven't. Yeah, we, used... we always referred to them as Elseworlds. Yeah, but... they, they just weren't named that officially for for a good while now. But it's clearly they're they're deciding I mean, even, to even embrace that again. I mean, even that had in. Uh... Under Black Level, like the uh, the Wonder Woman Dead Earth, was it called? Mm. Clearly an Elseworlds, right? You can print that and slap an Elseworlds label on it and no one's going to bat an eye. But I don't think it actually had that tag on it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting, because Black Label presumably will still be a thing that's going forward, but I wonder if they'll still... Are they going to like brand it both ways for some of these books, if they happen to also be... You know, because the Smallwood book, I'm looking at that and I'm like, that looks like it could be a Black Label book, but... Yeah, I think they might have to start using the Black Label stuff as essentially the the Vertigo branding. Obviously mm. now they haven't got Vertigo. And then use Elseworlds as a bit more directly for this, just to give them some differentiation between the two styles of book. It could also just be that uh, Black Label's been replaced by Elseworlds as a brand name. It, it could entirely be that. It could. I think they had more freedom with Black Label, though, in that it didn't have to strictly be just DC properties or, like, very clear Elseworlds. Like, even things like, um... Is Danger Street a Black Label book? I think it might be. Yeah, but those are still DC characters, though. Right, but that doesn't feel like... It's not necessarily an Elseworlds. There's no, like, oh, but imagine if, you know, what, the spin on it, right, that... Well, I that think... It, an Elseworlds. I think it is just because there's characters in it who are dying that aren't dead in the DCU and What's so fair. on. So I think it's out of continuity in that sense. Uh, yeah, I think I think I'm drawing a strong distinction in my brain between out of continuity stories and Elseworlds. Whereas Elseworlds have a specific, uh, like a specific angle of, you know, but what if, like you know, like like Dan, I still have, what if it was set in you know fantasy sure. times? And, uh, no, I, I know, get the like, distinction there. But you said Vertigo, and that makes me think of like non-superhero stuff. Whereas. Pretty much all of Black Label has all been established characters. It's all, you know, it's a Swamp but, Thing like, book, it's a Wonder Woman book, it's a Batman book, it's, you know, it's all been that. You just mentioned Swamp Thing, that, that wasn't Vertigo for years. Oh yeah, it was. I know it was back in the day, but Swamp Thing's been DC for... About a decade. Yeah, yeah. for quite some time now. Yeah, yeah, but right, from Swamp Thing in the 80s till... Okay, I'll put it this 2011, way. 2011. I'll put it this it way. Was, it Name, was Vertigo. Right. Nice House of was that Did that count as Black Label? Yeah. Okay, is that the only book? Is that the only Black Label book that's been a new creation? Because I think it might be. <laughs> I can't think of another one. Oh, the um, there's the uh, the Last God, which was the uh, Philip Kenny Johnson like fantasy book. I don't even remember that, but I'll take your word for it. There was a Sweet Tooth: The Return. What? <laughs> Sweet Tooth, The Return, the sequel Sweet Tooth book from 2021. That was a Black Label book. Oh, I guess. Okay. Fair enough. I, I guess that makes sense. Um, 
the all the sequels to the uh, like the second wave of um, uh, the the Hill House books. They were all on the Black Label the second time around. Okay, okay. Well, well, there was only one sequel to the Hill House books. Was there only the one? Yeah, it was just it was just, it was it was just the the, the Fuller Heads one. Uh, none of the others got sequels. Um, that said, though, the question I actually asked there was how many of them have been new things. So telling me some of them are sequels to Vertigo things from years ago doesn't exactly... I mean, that's fair, but I was also kind of distinctly non-DC superhero okay. properties, which is what I think sure. you actually meant, even though you're strictly, you know, by the by the wording you gave me, <laughs> yes, you are correct. But, but... But would you not agree, though, that Black Label has... The majority of it has been DC superhero characters in some context or another. Yeah, it has, yes. And But I wonder if this is what they want to use as a to start differentiating to maybe maybe they can start publishing a few more things that aren't mm. that and this frees well, up black label and gives it a stronger distinction that said though i don't know if these elseworlds are going to be you know for mature audiences like the black label books are maybe there's still going to be like a room for oh we want to have a violent batman story so that still goes into black label but do, yeah. you know this stuff goes into because uh, because you know dc Versus vampires and Dark Knights of Steel, they weren't black label books. They were just mini series. They were just comics. Elseworlds. They were just Elseworlds. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is that I don't remember the last black label book that was announced. It probably wasn't that long ago, but I don't feel like there's like a big string of them set, like ready to come out. Obviously, we got a new one today, what we're going to talk about, but yeah. I don't know if there's like a, a line of them that I can think of I co- think coming there's up. A, there's a Jason Aaron one coming up, right? Jason Aaron Batman thing. Uh, that's true that's true and i guess technically the uh the rest of that mark wade superman one is going to still coming because it, it yes. because we talked about that last time but it was the first issue was published far too early yeah all right well okay I, I just i'm just interested i'm just i'm theorizing about how they're going to juggle these two lanes and if they're going to actually support both of them concurrently or if one of them's maybe going to slowly go like all the stuff that's been announced will happen but is there going to be more beyond that because elseworlds now exists or are they going to try and do oh, um, about both. Just sorry, I, I'm going to interrupt slightly with a breaking news of a new book announced from DC, a DC book announced at, at Comic Con just now. This is why they didn't publish solicits uh, this week. I uh, presumably yes, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, well, hold on. Hold on. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, that was the last one. Yeah, we're done with this. That I was, was the last one. I was yeah. making sure you're not doing this awkwardly in the middle of like another section. No, no, no. Go on. No, all right, no, new book announcement. No. Go on. What's the breaking news? Um, a John Constantine Hellblazer. Oh, I don't uh, care. Hell, hell, I thought this was going to be something I America. cared about. I thought it was going to be something I gave uh, a shit about. The way you interrupted and sort of paused and went, oh, sorry. I didn't interrupt no, no, this. This no, is going to be a new big a, book. And you hit no, me with there's, Constantine. There's a reason. New DC Black Label series. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. That answers that question. Yes. But um, I was excited there for us. I thought you were going to hit me with it. Oh, they've got this great creative team on this character that we've all been wanting to come back. I was thinking the big new ongoing series, and you hit the first words out of your mouth was Hellblazer Constantine. And I'm like, know your audience, Connor. Know your goddamn audience. Hey, I do know the audience. The audience of this show love Hellblazer. All of them. Every single one of them is a huge fan. Like, I'm sure some of them do, okay? Some Every of them, single one. Some of them are freaks like you. I know that's the case. But... <laughs> you say these things to Tim next time you're recording with him. It's not he takes it. <laughs> oh, Tim knows how I feel. Uh, it's Cy uh, Spurrier and Aaron Campbell, uh, Ryan and Jorin, and they did the last Constantine book as well, the last Hellblazer book, and this is... Uh, 
a return series and they're going, you know, stuff in America, uh, dealing with the, it mentions the Sandman stuff and Swamp Thing will be back in this book. Oh, well, la da <laughs> I have no comments. I'm probably not even going to try it. I think it, w- it was just funny. <laughs> there was like, oh, there's not, you know, no new Black Label books at all. So then, like, literally two minutes later, well, they just announced f- one. To be fair, I said I couldn't remember any, and then you named, like, two that have been announced that haven't started yet. So you'd already kind of made the point. I had, but I wanted to really just, you know, nail it home. Okay, well, I'm going to give you some sad news, and that is that Philip Keddy Johnson has ended his run on Action Comics because... They've announced the whole big thing they're doing next year for action, which is they're going to have rotating creative teams. Uh, and when I say rotating, I don't mean there's like two teams that are swapping. It's just going to be like a team comes in, they do an arc, they move on. A team comes in, it's, they do an arc, they move on. By the sounds of it, it's going to be three issue arcs, and there's going to be like four of them over the year. What do you mean four of them over the year? What do you mean by that? Four three issue arcs over the course of the year. Oh, because it's twelve issues in a year. Yes, okay, that's fair. Well, well done. I was like, "That's not enough issues." Or we're we all the rest of the issues. <laughs> it doesn't double ship anymore. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that was my. That was. That was yeah. I was. I was, I was, I was yeah. tripping up. I was like, "But there's so much more issues than that." Well, that's not enough. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> yes. Well, we don't know what all of them are going to be, but we know the first two. Uh, yes. The first one is going to be. Is it Jason Aaron's doing the first one? It is. Uh, yes. Which is which is interesting, you know. Uh, we got it's a bizarro story, uh, one thousand sixty one to one thousand sixty three, uh, which is Jason Aaron and John Timms on that, and then I mean that's interesting because Jason Aaron's this. He's, I mean, obviously they've announced the Black Label book. It's kind of a big get that he's doing DC, you know, mainstream I mean, work I, now. The last time he worked with them at all would be that, from my memory, would be scalped with Vertigo, right? Yeah, and that's basically. I mean, I'm sure he maybe did a couple of backups or something, but that was basically all he did. Like, that was the only... He he didn't do any runs on big characters or anything back then. That never happened. So the fact that he's coming over to do arcs and miniseries and stuff... He's been so steeped in Marvel for a couple of decades at this point. You know, know, obviously he's had his his Punisher stuff, his X-Men stuff with Wolverine, um, and then obviously his Thor stuff, and... What's he just been doing? Aven- he did Avengers. He did like 50 issues on Avengers. Yeah, yeah. He did more than that. But yeah, it's... Uh, so it's, it's kind of a big get to have him. It's only one arc, but he's also doing that Black Label book. So it's kind of... At this point, I'm kind of expecting them to announce something else with him. Maybe even this weekend. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if he gets an ongoing this weekend. I don't know what it would be, but it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, and then the second arc we know of is actually Joshua Williamson, who's doing a crossover arc with his Superman book. So that's really unexciting because it's like it's just the Superman writer coming over and getting three extra issues, <laughs> and a book that we've not been loving, shall we say? I mean, the last few have been a bit better than the like. Yeah, I, I hate how and and they um they previewed Superman issue ten, I think it was. And it's they're doing like a Wild West thing, and it's like Superman dressed up like he's in a western, and it's got it's Bruno Redondo on art, and I'm like, oh, that sounds good, but Williamson, he'll he'll screw it up somehow. The last, the also, last... it's a little bit annoying because he's taking Redondo away from Nightwing. Yeah, the last couple of issues have been mostly fine. I've not loved everything in them, but they definitely haven't like pissed me off or anything like that. So, 
But it's, uh, this is, but either way, this is not exciting. This is not like you know, I, I'm sad enough to be losing Johnson's run on action and realizing that we only have a few more issues left of it. When I thought, oh, maybe there'll be a whole. Yeah, he, he has said he's continuing to write Superman. So there's some announcements due, I'm sure. Probably, um, yeah. Maybe they'll. I don't know. Did you see his little Twitter thread on what he said? I did not. Fill me in. Um, he basically he confirmed that uh, the December. Annual will be his final issue. So we've got, you know, well, I th- have we had October's issue of action yet? No, no. So we got three plus got the th- annual. Three plus the annual left. Yeah. Um, and then he basically said, oh, uh, he's not, yeah, so he's not even done Ryan Superman. Uh, War World Saga, you know, it's all leading to something bigger than just one character, one series, or even one writer. Um, uh, if you want to know where Krillux took Mongol or his plans for the United Planets, or if you want to know about the other six god aspects or Algren, if you want to see the House of El again, um, the story behind Pyrrhus and the Red King and how Clark hopes to redeem him, uh, keep reading, starting with Green Lantern War Journal, currently in stores. Uh, which implies that there's definitely some more books to be announced uh, following. It's, I mean, possibly... Quite a few threads there. Possibly an ongoing or a mini series leading to an event, or just straight up just an event. Like I could see them just announcing like a Superman centered event that's going to happen over the spring, and he's the Quite one possibly. spearheading it's, it. Because it's so weird for him to be. I'm, I'm not saying dropped off the action book because I, I don't. We don't know the the, the politics of what's happened here, but it'd be so weird for him to be dropped off of his book, and then being given the event, but not writing one of the one of the fam- the family books at that point well because no, that, that to me that just says that they just want action to be able to do standalone stories or simple superman stories and mm-hmm. they're whatever he's building to is so big maybe maybe it was originally planned just to be like you know three ar- arcs and action comics and they said hey we can market this as its own big 12 issue book or we can market this as an event and when he says multiple writers that immediately said to me there's going to be tie-ins to whatever this is at some point uh, if not books that are tying in. So that's, I mean, as long as he's getting to continue and finish his story, the fact that it's not going to be called action comics is irrelevant, really. I mean, I'll, my OCD brain's like, oh, I like when things are neat. And it's just, you know, action comics issue this to issue that. But ultimately, it it's not that big a deal. Uh, it feeds into that whole meme of the, uh, where do you start reading the comics versus where do you start reading the manga, right? Uh, yeah, I've never asked anyone where they started reading the manga, I, though. I, I know, but you, you've seen the meme, right? I mean, I've, I've seen where, the meme, yes. Yeah, you know, where do you start reading the comic? Here's this list, and there's all this convoluted. Like, which version of Batman do you want to read? And like, where do you start reading the manga? Issue one. Here you go. This this definitely <laughs> d- doesn't help when, when they do stuff like this. Where do you start reading the comics? Issue 1074. Where do you start reading the manga? At the bottom of the ocean, dying, because that's where they all belong, you filthy manga readers. You're missing out. You're missing out on some great stories. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting just to see what they do with this. Like, is I mean, if anything, this could actually be seen not as a negative, but uh, like a promotion of whatever he was going to do. Like, they might see the potential in it, and they're giving him a bigger stage by saying, "Hey, you get to have a new book that's you know maybe just called Superman colon colon colon, uh, you know, War World Saga or something or, or whatever they want to call this this big final arc that's going to wrap it all up." If it is just one arc, maybe it's multiple. Maybe he's going to get a an ongoing book that does build up to an event series. I, I don't know, but either way, 
all yeah. of that sounds good if whatever's going to happen. Uh, I, I'm definitely happy to hear that though, because I was bummed when I heard out heard that he wasn't going to be on action anymore, and I thought that was just it. So I'm happy that he's at least teasing those. Uh, just it's just pivoting to another title, which is fine. It does sound like that, yeah. Um, but like it's he's definitely picking up his threads somewhere. Um, obviously, we'll we'll wait have to see exactly where, but. Yeah, I mean, as long as they're continuing somewhere, it's all right. I'm sure he's tying some things into like Green Lantern War Journal and whatnot, but I don't expect that's going to be the main stage for it. So there'll definitely I can be see another the, book. The stuff with like the the War World, the War World side of it, like although you know what happened with mm. the the Mongols, that that could definitely fill in with that cosmic side with with War Journal. Yeah, um, uh, it could be a case of it's it's so much bigger in scope. It can't just be a Superman book anymore. So that's why it's not action, and now it's going to be not Justice League, but you know, it'll, it'll just be called War World Saga or something, and it'll be Superman he- headed, but there'll be a lot of other characters in it as well. Yeah, very possibly. Um, uh, like I say, he also he also mentioned there'll be uh, more writers, so that that could lend credence to the idea of an event. Um, maybe that's what made me think of it. I was yeah. thinking tie-ins. Uh, yeah, but Johnson on the main story, but everyone pitching in for all the other bits and pieces. Uh, because he's got me so invested though in what happened in the War World saga and like Clark having these kids now and all this going on with Mongol, this is easily the most interested I will have been in an event if it is an event in quite some time because I already care about it. I already care about if because this event this is this reminds me a lot more of something like Blackest Night where this is the culmination of the story that's been in the ongoing. So I'm naturally a lot more into it as opposed to just we announced an event for you know three months time and we're just going to quickly set it it's, up. It's kind of crazy how it felt like we went like six seven years at DC with just like the one major event and now it feels like we have three a year. Yeah, it's just a comic book. I mean, Marvel never stopped. It's just no, they didn't. But we had like throughout the entirety of the New Fifty Two, the only real event outside of the dodgy convergence nonsense <laughs> was Forever Evil, right? Mm-hmm. And then now, it, and I'm not saying Forever Evil was amazing. It was pretty good, to be fair. Like honestly, it was. It was probably the most I enjoyed reading Earth in the New Fifty Two was that portion. Yeah, and obviously they had quite a few crossovers. Um, like fairly self-contained crossovers during the new 52 or at least you know restrained to their effective areas you know the little families that they uh they used to separate the books into but big massive events they were pretty rare and now it just it feels like there's always an event going on now Actually, to compare this to specifically a Superman thing, and I hope this turns out better, because the build to New Krypton was great, and then Johns just kind of mm. wasn't involved after the big one shot that started it all off. So hopefully this can be what that wasn't, which is, no, no, the writer spearheading it is the one who's there, you know, telling the end of the story for the rest of, the, you know, the, the whole thing, so. Hopefully, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so... Yeah, anyway, they're, they're calling this uh, Superman Superstars is the idea that they're bringing these superstar writers, uh, which... Yeah, Jason Aaron, yeah, sure, but Williamson? Superstars? He's writing your other <laughs> Superman book already. Yeah, it just isn't that exciting. Like, there's, there's nothing exciting about bringing in the writer who's on the other just, book over. Just, just double ship Superman for a few months. Yeah, yeah. Give us someone more interesting. Uh, doesn't matter yeah. who. Let Mark Wade do an arc. Let... It, it, it doesn't. It's not even about whether or not it's someone that I'm excited for. It's more just, like I say, you can you can easily just 
double ship Superman for a couple of months. And we know they're willing to do that because we've just seen them do it with Detective right now for Ram, Ram V, just to, hey, we'll double ship for a couple of months. It'll be cool. Uh, they don't have a problem with it conceptually. So this just feels like a bit... It's, it's just a bit boring, really, isn't it? When we could have literally any other writer. Yeah, yeah, it's just a bit dull. Uh, hopefully... If I, if I could ask for something, I'd like a Supergirl book. Especially if maybe that one-shot Tamaki's doing might lead to an ongoing. I would not be upset at an announcement of that. Yeah. This weekend, DC, please. Thank you. So, yeah. Well, that's the news as it stands. It's entirely possible that there's more panels going on throughout the day. Uh, if there's any news that breaks during the show, we might catch it. But otherwise, if it happens after the show, then we'll just talk about it next week. So, uh... You know, this always happens because they always do their announcements over the course of like Friday, Saturday. Yeah, but at least now we know why there was no solicits is that they have more to announce today. Sure. So there we go. So we can get into the comics themselves then, I think. Uh, Batman and Robin issue two, legacy number 68. Joshua Williamson writing with Simone DeMeo on the art. Uh... What are you making a face at? It's just, just the idea of legacy number for Batman and Robin. Like, <laughs> oh, just... Come on. I mean, it's honestly, the most surprising thing about Batman and Robin as a title is that they didn't have a book with that name until 20, or 2009, right? Yeah, that and was... then we had it from 2011 for about five years? Four or yeah, five years? New 52 had, had its version, and then this is the third volume, effectively, that we're on now. Yeah, we've had Robin and Batman. That was that was short lived, but yeah, we had that as a thing. Yeah, yeah. that was that was a thing. So, yeah, uh, issue two. Um, it took me a good minute when I started this to remember what the hell happened in issue one. I was pretty fortunate in that I read these back to back. Oh, maybe with like one or two issues in between. I can't remember what order I read my books in this week, but I had the the week of this from last month to read as well. Yeah, so you were pretty set. Um, and as I was reading, I was like, okay, here's the things I remember liking. I like the idea of Damien being like, oh, you have to actually go to school now. <laughs> like, this is a thing. Damien in high I school, I think it's a good concept. Yeah, I'd like it more if it lasted more than about three pages. Well, yeah, but they still may do more with it. I, I think what they're setting up here is that Damien's going to keep trying to get out of it, but he is ultimately going to like be forced to stay in there yeah. and actually be a teenager for a bit. Quite possibly. Because uh, I know he ducks out in this issue as quickly as he can, but we do get him interacting with other kids who are trying to bully him, and obviously, uh, we get like a, almost like a like an American Psycho, or not American, sorry, not American Psycho, a history of violence is what I was trying to say, where he wants to beat the shit out of these teenagers, and he can, but he keeps it in, so he just he fantasizes about it for a second, and he's like, no, I'm keeping my cool, I'm not going to break their arms, but he wants to. Uh, I, I enjoyed that scene. I think that's a fun idea. Uh, elsewhere, though, we have this whole cliffhanger from last time, which is Batman. Uh, all the bats are coming towards him because he's been shot with this pellet that's now in his bloodstream of something that's attracting the bats. Uh, the villain, whoever it may be, is trying to turn the symbol of himself against him, kind of thing. Uh, we have this character, Shush, who's enacting all these plans, but we also have a mysterious voice that's above them, someone who's telling them what to do. Uh, we get a scene there, so uh, we don't know who that is uh, as of yet. Um, 
I was ready to throw down my uh, money and say, oh, I bet his school teacher turns out to be this shush character. But the way the scenes kind of played next to each other made me think, ah, no, nah, it feels a bit weird if like, she immediately is doing the villainous stuff at the same time. <laughs> it would be awkward to, to you know, get, get wrapped yeah. up in all those bandages and get over there in time, right? It, it just seemed like an obvious thing because they introduced this teacher character. Like, oh, this is going to be a character. Oh, I bet she turns out to be the villain. <laughs> but then, like, okay, nah, it's just whatever. But uh, they, they probably could still do that and just be like, oh, just crave license. Just don't worry about it. Yeah. Well, maybe she's the, the ultimate villain who's speaking from, you know, the other room, the one we don't see. Could be that, could be that character, I suppose. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not banking on it. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, I think him, Damien going to school was definitely my favourite section of the book, and I like that idea as a whole. Um, Batman investigating who's behind, you know, the stuff that they've done to him. They go to the prison to get this, uh, what was it, what, White Rabbit? Yes. Yeah, that character. Uh, and they go to try and get her, but Shush shows up uh, with the terrible trio, and they get her first at the end, and that's the, the cliffhanger of the issue. Uh, and they mentioned that whatever's going on, it seems to involve messing around with basically mutagens that will transform people into animals or, or make hybrids. And that's why the Terrible Trio now have actual animal heads as opposed to just wearing masks. Which, I mean, I don't hate them having the actual animal heads. It's kind of quirky and fun. Uh, but... Yeah, I don't mind it. It annoys me in that it's definitely not going to be one of those things that lasts. Even even if mm. this book doesn't actively address reversing it, next time you see them in like three years' time, it'll just be masks. That's probably true. Unless some editors really do their job and be like, no, 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 no. they have actual animal heads now, they can't take them off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it just feels like one of those things that'll just be forgotten about. Maybe Williamson will I don't, be... I don't mind it in this book. Yeah, maybe Williamson will be good and like actually... That get a, 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 an antidote that they force them to take before the end of the story. Yeah, like, like that, obviously that could happen, which is why I say you know, it could be addressed within the story. But I feel like it's such a thing that even if Williamson uses them again in like two years' time, even he'll, he'll forget. forget that <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually read two comics this week with a terrible trio in it, and I thought, ooh, that was fun. What was the other one? Uh, the the Black Label book. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. I was like, oh, two, two of them in one week. That's so they're in that, yeah. That's fun. Because uh, yeah, they, they popped up first in Rebirth and the Batgirl run. Like it, and it was after the... They were pretty uh, heavy in that run for, for a little while, yeah. Yeah, but it wasn't in the initial... Uh, Nicholas... Not Nicholas Scott, sorry. What's the name I'm trying to think of? Oh, I forgot. Yeah, Albuquerque on that. I'm trying to think of the writer's name. I've forgotten her name. Uh, but it was when it shifted to the second writer is when the Terrible Trio started popping it, in a lot. Is it uh, Larson? Hope Larson. That was it. Yeah. Yes. It's because she's not written any other DC books since then, so the, the name's been slowly drifting. It's, you had to, I had to pull that out of my brain yeah. then. That, that, that took some work. The name's been drifting. I liked her back girl one, though. I'd be down for a reason. It was really good, yeah. Some, some more stuff. Um, but she's another one who also does, like, just novels and, like, regular prose and stuff, so maybe she's... Yeah, I think uh, she has a lot of... Like, uh, there's a few, like, indie books, I think. I think she's the one that does Snot Girl. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've, I I might be mixing her up with someone, but I'm pretty sure she's the one married to the, the guy who made Scott Pilgrim. Oh. Oh, well, poor her. Uh, so... <laughs> poor her, lucky him, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure, if that's how you want to take it. 
look, it's just nice that she did that charity work and settled for for him. Okay, mm-hmm. that's all. Um, art is so the art in this is a little frustrating to me because I think the aesthetic of it and the layouts are are mostly quite nice to look at. The colors are great. Um, I do think occasionally some of the faces. Um, there's a page early on. It's just a few pages in. Uh, where Batman's yelling while turning them ravenous as he's talking about the bats. And the way his face is yelling, the way that the cowl's kind of just like morphing to his face just looks really weird to me. That's fair. I overall love the art and the aesthetic. I'm not sure it's right for this book. Sure, I, I can I can see that. Like, I think like uh, the school side of it, I think it works really well for that. And I love the 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 neon styled Gotham that they bring yeah, into the Yeah, all the, the purples and stuff in the background. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just don't know if this is the right book for it. I can kind of see but, that. I think I I think for for me, and this is going to sound like a really awful insult in this day and age, right? <laughs> but when I look at some of the faces that I don't like, it has almost like that AI quality to it. And I feel really mean saying that. No, no, I don't think it has that. It's just, no? it's, I think what it is, it's, it's very heavily manga influenced. I mean, that's more of an insult as far as I'm no, concerned. That's what it is. <laughs> like, that's what, um, even down to when, uh, when Damien's having his little moment in the school, he does the, the crouch on the desk. And it's the same thing that a lot, uh, the, you know, I think it's, it's like, it's called like the Japanese crouch. Where they like, you know, where they they like sit with their, you know, the knees out, like, mm. but they're, they're still stood up essentially. Like they're they're still on their feet. They're not sitting. Uh, it, it's it's something that apparently like, uh, you know, like Westerners find really hard to do just because our muscles aren't used to it. But um, you see it in a lot of manga and anime that 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 posing. It looks like a vampire on that panel. Yes. Yeah, he does a little bit. I don't, it's a color by the mouth. It looks almost fang. Yeah, it's, the, it's that plus the, the 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 deep red sort of light coming from behind them. Just it all feels very vampiric. Yeah, the, the sunglasses inside. You know. Yeah. Yes. Uh. Well, there you go. Uh, yeah. Tales of the Vampire. Tis the season and all that. Yes. Yes. Uh. Yeah. It's. Yeah, I think I think the art, like I would say, it's generally quite pleasing to the eye. But there is definitely something, you know, the occasional face or whatever that I'm just not as into as a style approach. Uh, but you know, there's that that page. There's a couple towards the end where Batman appears and says, "You should be in school." And the way it plays with the shadows and the the purple light behind them, it's mostly pretty good. It is. It's as an art style for me. It's it's like a almost definition of style of a substance. And others, mm. there are backgrounds and there are details but compared to other styles it's pretty light on those and it it relies really heavily on this really strong coloring and these uh the the high contrasts with the inks and the the negative space and i I really like it it is a style um but again i think i think it suits a book that's a little bit moodier than this i think this is a little bit too light-hearted for this style uh even though it's not it's not a light book but like I, i don't think it's got the the darkness or the depth to what the story is. At least maybe, no, not right now, maybe further into the arc it'll get there. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I'm enjoying, I think it's interesting that I'm enjoying the Damien stuff the most because the thing I've probably enjoyed the most from Williamson is his Robin book. 
So this being a quasi sequel to that, mm-hmm. with following his progression afterwards, is you know it, it makes sense. I guess that's the most appealing to me. Yeah, uh, I think as a Batman and Robin book, that should be the the best part almost, right? The the mm-hmm. the Robin side of it because you can get the Batman thing in like almost any other book. Oh yeah, there's right? tons of Batman. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense to me. So, uh, also just I know I wasn't here last time, but I read them both. I just want to say. That was one of the worst because Batman utility belts I've ever seen. Where to... he has an anti-bat repellent on oh, his that's belt. Right, yeah, yeah that's like, good. No, no, no. The bats are like the the one thing he consistently uses. Like you know, I even gone back to something like Year One, where he has the thing to summon the bats. Anti-bat is not a thing he uses ever. Like that's not. A <laughs> thing he, like, I, I get why he would know. Like I'm okay with him knowing the the formula for having anti-bat, right? But he just whips it out of his pouch. Oh, oh no, 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 Batman should never need to be carrying anti-bat at all times. Yeah, uh, I can't really argue. It, 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 was, it, it was a particularly egregious. It's use on of the par with shark belt. repellent, which it is. Which is which would be fine if he's like, say, okay, the big thing is going down at the aquarium, and there's a bunch of loose sharks. I'll grab all my shark-related gear. <laughs> that would be fine. Yeah. Or even if it's like we we might be near the ocean for this mission, you know, sure, the, the, yeah. Sure. There, there are there are circumstances in which you might want to take that. Yes, but, but nah, anti bat. I just uh, it kind of annoyed <laughs> me a little bit. It's so egregious, but but whatever. You know, it, it is it is Batman utility belt. It, it's often egregious. Connor prefers Uncle Bat. Confirmed. Yeah, yeah. For the record, I say auntie, not auntie, but you know. I, I I appreciate the joke all the same. They sound the same in my head, to be honest. Okay, but do you agree there is a difference when I say auntie and auntie? I can hear a slight difference, but I don't know how you're accomplishing it. <laughs> uh, well, this is one of those things where it's not even a just you, because some people will say auntie. Like, like it's it's like a... I just want to say... It's not even like a north-south divide, like a lot of things in terms of accents in this country. It's just that the, the, some people say one, some say... It's like vase and vase. Hmm. Like some, some people say one, some say the other. Scone and scone. The, the, there is a correct way, and there's a, and there's a way that other people say. It's a scone. I agree. Oh, yeah. <sighs> You are one of the other people. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you do, so? So, so when you get some ice cream, do you get an ice cream con? No, you don't. You get an ice cream cone. There's a whole different layer in front of it. It changes the cone, word. Cone. No, the S does not change how the vowel operates. So, yes, no. it does. No, it does not. It does not. It does not. Uh, Connor is wrong. And that's that's all that needs to be said about this. Let's move on. Wait, weigh in in the comments. <laughs> I'll say scone as much as I damn well please. And you'll be wrong about it. Green Lantern issue. We need to rate it before we move on. Oh, yeah, good point. Uh, What are you rating Batman and Rob? Um, I'm going to give it a six. I think it's a pretty average book with some nice art. It's just okay. Oh, I think I'll go and nudge up and say six point five. I don't, I don't think I quite like it enough to say it's good, good. But it's a, it's an easy enough read. It flows well enough. I'm happy enough to read more of it. It's not, 
but it's definitely not what I'm most excited for at any given time. And we're only two issues in, so it's not that much of a statement, but uh, yeah, so that's Batman and Robin. Alright, Green Lantern, issue four, legacy number 540. The internet can fight me until DC tells me otherwise. <laughs> Jeremy Adams writing and Zermanico on the R. So, uh, this left off in a pretty interesting cliffhanger last time with Sinestro showing up to talk to Hal. And I thought this was a pretty enjoyable issue. It did a couple of interesting things for me. Uh, primarily, it gave us a Hal and Barry team up, uh, where Barry yep. pops in to help out with a bunch of stuff. Uh, it also sets up some big key plot details, which is that Sinestro is being quite vicious here. He set up explosives around the city to try and get what he wants. He wants the Green Lantern Ring so he can go home. But he what he doesn't know before he gets it, because Hal does just hand it over to him, is that it's not a regular Green Lantern Ring. It doesn't just work from a power battery uh, the way he's expecting it to. So we set up this plot that is that there is some group out there who are supplying people with high-powered and high-tech alien weaponry. And that is quite dangerous. So uh, I I think this may be the best issue of this so far. I, I think when I got to the end and there was this sort of sense of menace because those jets that Sinestro was tampering with are finally launching, it, it had kind of an eerie like, oh, like they, they've checked them out to see if they're okay, but like what if they've missed something? What if it's something they can't detect? It felt... Yeah, they're definitely not okay, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that would be my guess. But I, I got a good feeling of like, Oh no! Like you know, suspense. I guess is maybe the the word to say it. But I think the idea, the fact that the last uh, box says, "Oh, it could be apocalyptic," and it's you know as those planes mm. are, are launching. That yeah, that, that definitely does not feel pleasant. Yeah, and we've done a lot of versions of the Hal and Sinestro relationship. I think this one being one of the most just clearly hostile between them, and uh, it's like, no, I'm going to do acts of terrorism if you don't give me what I want, Jordan. And then he does it anyway, just so Jordan can't follow him, and that's why he calls in Barry to help, because shit, I need to deal with this quickly, and I'm not that quick. Yeah. So, where's, uh, where's old Barry boy? So, he makes a construct that Barry then uses to go around, and, like, basically the, the signals or the frequencies bouncing off of this construct give them an idea of where all the explosives are. And uh, we get a couple of nice scenes of, uh, you know, I, I think what's so good about having Hal and Barry team up is you get a, a lot of nice contrast between the green and the red. They're very different colours, so they, they go well together. I would not be surprised if genuinely that's one of the reasons that they started teaming up these very, characters in the first place. Very probably. Maybe even for a Christmas special, because green and red are very Christmassy colours. Oh, they are, yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, I, I thought all that stuff was fun. Um, I also enjoyed the creativeness of Hal's constructs here. Making a big shark to bite one of the explosives I thought was just a fun little bit of... I, I felt like Adams was flexing his, like, Green Lantern creativity. Uh, and then the second time he uses big hands to, like, s basically smash them. them. Yeah, yeah, between his... So, I, I, thought that, I thought all that was really good stuff. It felt like he's really kind of hitting the groove of, like, how to write Hal. Uh, and he go, goes a bit Silver Age cheesy when they sort of like say hello to each other afterwards where they both say each other's names so they can do the font which you know it made me smile it's very unnatural dialogue but at the same time I get why they're doing it they want the moment so it yeah it it's it's probably one of the for me the the weakest moments of the issue and that's that, why that's fair it's, it's because yeah. it's a full like they, they waste a full page on it yeah yeah 
I, I get it. I did enjoy them uh, chatting afterwards, though, where they're talking about how, oh, Wally's just had his third kid, which, you know, syncs up with Flash, which, you know, Adam's actually wrote that so. plot. Yeah. yeah, so it makes sense he can reference that. Uh, but I also enjoyed Barry uh, catching up with uh, with Carol a little bit. You know, they run into each other, and it's kind of awkward because he doesn't realize that her and Hal aren't a thing, and he invites them like, to she, dinner. She, she's engaged. He's like, so am I. I mean, congratulations. Uh, yeah, I'm a chuckle, and, and just you know, Barry being like, "Ahal, you're such an idiot. Why have you ruined this relationship um, again?" Yeah, and you know, Hal does have some good kind of answers. Like, oh, I always get called away for these big things in space that I'm missing for so long, and you know, I think Barry is in a good place to sort of talk about that because he's like, "Well, I'm called off to dangerous things all the time too. Maybe not as far away, but you know, and I'm much quicker at getting home, I suppose. But like." You know, you, you still you can work at it. It does work, and the fact that Wally and Linda have got a good relationship that works. Like these relationships yeah. do work. Uh, so clearly, there's something else here that's not quite working. But uh, yeah, I I think I also appreciated that there was like good consequences to that scene from last issue where Sinestro was poking around these jets between them investigating them, then the ending sort of being like, oh shit, like what's going on here with those jets? Um, it felt like it had like it felt like a sort of not a nothing scene. It was exciting seeing them catch him on the security camera. But it was kind of like, okay, but what is this? What was what, what is this actually going to result in? And I think this issue did a good job of, oh no, we don't know what it's going to result in yet, but we're kind of worried about it now. It feels like it could be a big deal. So I, I, I like that. Yeah, no, I'm 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 into it. Um, that two month break really kind of hurt this book a little bit for me. That's um, fair. Yeah, because I, I was really into the first two issues, and then it felt like ages for more i know technically he was still writing it but it, it was essentially a two-month break and this is no one's fault but just dc as a company as a as editorial yeah, it's just editorial department but it, it definitely hurt the momentum of the book a little bit and my not my enjoyment of it but just more my my expectations like i, I kind of forgot how much I do like this book that, think, and how solid a start it had. I think that's why issue four here is really singing is because I think issue three was that transition issue of just getting back into it and realizing, oh, this can be good again. And then this one gets to just pay off all the things that it was doing. It's almost like he, on some level, he, he probably knew when issue one was getting written that he was going to have to take this break. So he intentionally didn't do any big things you'd have to remember too well between two and three. And I think yeah, three it was si- just a tease that Sinestro was out there, really. Yeah, otherwise it was just focusing on Hal being back with the ring again and why that's happened. And I think issue three more intentionally set up a lot of things that four is immediately like developing and paying off. And I think that's quite good. Uh, and there's yeah. some more action here as well, because um, what's his name? Major Disaster is causing chaos with tornadoes and meteors. And again, we get some more fun uh, constructs. We get... Uh, Hal using a giant baseball bat to hit the... Or no, sorry, Snooker. It's a pool cue. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, to, to hit the meteors back into space. I thought that was, a, again, a really fun, inventive little panel. Whilst Barry's doing his run around the tornado shtick that he always does. The usual, yeah. Yeah, it's good fun. But uh, he, his powers are stronger than normal, though, uh, Major Disaster. And this ties into the whole someone's giving these bad guys alien tech. And that's kind of a problem. So... Uh, we're going into that, uh, and then it just kind of gets to you know as Hal's finishing his narration and wondering what Sinestro's up to and how bad this could get. That we see the the panels of the jets taking off, which I assume they weren't supposed to take off. 
right? It looks That's... like yeah, it looks like they're taken off from the. Uh, it, well, it says automatic actually on one of the panels, but it does look like they're taken off just from the the warehouse, basically the hangar. Yeah. Um, so I assume this is what Sinestro did do. Is they, these are going somewhere now? Um, I'm, I'm assuming they're not armed. Because that, that's how you start a war. <laughs> yeah, that is how you start a war. Um, maybe they're... I mean, they're just jets. They can't fly in space, so it must be somewhere on Earth that they're going. Well, unless he's given them something to let them fly in space. It's, 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 it's not like they need life support, because there's no one on them. Yeah, not sure it's all made. Um, so. Or is this just another part of Sinestro's just... You know, like, hey, the, the, the bombs, you might catch those, but try catching, you know, three supersonic jets. Yeah, maybe this is to... I mean, it says next time worldwide fear, so maybe this is about just, you know, causing fear in the entire planet, that these terrorist attacks could... Which, you know, like, we had a whole run at the end of Johnsy's time of, like, Sinestro possibly being redeemed and can we sympathize with him and can he be kind of this this anti-hero type character? Uh, and while I did like that stuff and I do like that approach to Sinestro, I do think there's something really kind of menacing and fun about him just no he's just a straight up terrorist like he'll just do stuff to earth on, on a whim i think what i appreciate here is it doesn't feel like it's just you know it's not mustache twirling villain sinestro where it's just be evil for no. the sake of it. he clearly has an agenda he wants to get off earth he you know there's a purpose to what he's doing here yeah they talk about it's... earth you know they mentioned this in the first issue of course but earth or 2814 as a whole is quarantined from the rest of the uh, League of United Planets and there's no Green Lanterns in here except the ones who are ex-Green Lanterns like Hal and John. So yep. uh, apparently traveling out of the sector is really tough and that's why Sinestro needs help doing it. Uh, obviously he doesn't have a ring, uh, clearly. So, uh, But it's interesting though that because he doesn't have a ring he is turning to these really nasty militia-style tactics you know he's, he's doing all yeah. the stuff that he learned if, long long before he ever had a yellow ring it feels a little bit desperate on his part right mm, yeah uh, which i think is interesting desperate sinestro is scary oh for sure yeah so no I mean, i'm enjoying this quite a bit uh it's, it's a solid start to to the run i think it's built it feels like it's building again much and this is something that i've been saying about a few of the runs that i've really been liking recently and something that was missing for a long time certainly in new 52 and not, not as much in re Rebirth, but I think this is getting better as well for some of them, is that they feel like runs as opposed to just a series of arcs that are all distinct from each other. Like, Johnson's War World Saga, and even what's, what it's went into afterwards with having the kids and, like, the after effects of the War World Saga, it feels like he's writing a run where he's got an end goal in mind for the entire thing, as opposed to, here's one arc with a story, that's done, on to the next arc, here's its own story. Yeah, I actually saw a really good thread on Twitter of someone talking about, almost exactly that with the War World stuff, how each arc post-War World has felt like a, a really good jumping-on point, uh, if you wanted to, but also it's really naturally furthering the story it, it, yes they're individual arcs to some extent that they're you know, that you can jump onto them and follow what's going on but all of them are all part of this larger story that's going on and that has definitely been missing for a while yeah a lot of other adam's stuff. flash was lower key but it definitely had that that quality to it um um venditti's hawkman yeah, uh, Ramvi's detective has all been kind of like one big story that's been split into smaller fragments. I mean, that's, that's even just named, you know, yeah. acts one, two, and three, respectively, and then, you know, sub-arcs within those acts. So it's just, it's very nice, and it's definitely, I think, my preferred way of writing a comic book run. 
obviously I see value in the other way as well, and I do enjoy a lot of those runs, but I definitely prefer this a little bit more. It feels more like a TV show, with like a serialized TV show with a larger hey, story. We've got space for, for both, obviously. I think the other approach works really well when we have like um, a series of minis. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe like something like looking at the, uh, the Doom Patrol book that's, that's going on right now. That, that's one. Each issue is its own thing as well. But it's like, that's one story. But it also feels like you could really easily tack another mini on afterwards and do another story with that team, you know, that, and it would work really well. Yeah, yeah. So, no, very good. Uh, there is a backup, though, before we uh, get to rate anything, uh, about Sinestro's son. And this is by uh, Peter J. Tomasi and David Lafayette. Uh, so, this is basically just a story about uh, Sinestro's son, who's determined to prove that he's also worthy of being a Sinestro, and he's effectively built himself what the other alien dude refers to as a yellow ring. Like, he's trying to be a yellow lantern, but... What it actually is is basically just yellow brass knuckles <laughs> that also may have like an electric shock thing attached to them. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's basically just this this fire uh, and this character who even draws on a little mustache like Sinestro at one point uh, and is beating up criminals because, you know, Sinestro was all about law and order and stuff, but it's basically he's living with this alien who makes all the kids sort of steal for for him for for you know to make a profit so that they can eat and stuff and he's this awful like i don't know foster father doesn't sound right <laughs> that doesn't feel like quite the right description but uh yeah but he's very upset at the end though because uh all the money that he was stealing from these other crooks uh got ruined when they shot at the the case that the money was being carried in so it's all ripped in half and he's very upset about it uh but yeah so Oh, how do you feel about the backup? Uh, it's fine. I think it's probably better than the previous backups. Not necessarily in quality, but that this feels like a more of a digestible chunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it helps us doing a significantly simpler story than the other backups were before. Um, I don't think there's 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 not much going on here though. It's just it's it's really just a kind of a a, a little bit of fun essentially. Yeah, um, I guess I can I can appreciate in some small way that the story of Sinestro's son kind of mirrors his own story in the main book right now, and that he's kind of stuck somewhere he doesn't want to be and is trying to get out, but the stakes are much smaller because he's just trying to escape someone who controls his life, as opposed to Sinestro who's trying to escape a sector of space. So uh, I do appreciate that. I, it was an easy enough read. I, I can't say I was that into it. Yeah, it was fine as a backup, but I wasn't like yeah super into it. Right? Yeah, it's it's fine, but as I think it's it's it seems better compared to the previous backups, which again weren't bad, but just more they did not have the pages they needed to tell the much more elaborate story they were trying to. Did you start War Journal yet? No, not yet. Okay, I know that follows on from yeah. from those. But did you read the last of the backups? I guess yes. you might have done because you, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. was in issue three. So well, I read I, the last of that backup. Yeah, I think that third one did at least give, like, I, I thought that was the best of those three parts just because it gave context to, like, oh, I get what this is doing now and where it's going now. I agree. I also think all three of them should not have been a backup and it should have been one zero issue. Sure, no, I get it. I, I do. But at the very least, though, I thought, okay, I finally understand what this is doing now as opposed yes. to, you know, whatever. Yeah, and- uh, yeah War Journal is. 
on on the list obviously i'm yeah. gonna read that oh issue um, one was very good issue, issue one and it would have worked without reading those backups but it that did give you a bit more insight going into it, you know what some of the context yeah. was like i said i just think um i i bet if you read all three of those backups together as one thing they read pretty well like as a zero issue yeah, very uh, possibly. i think they probably should have just published it that way all right what are you rating green lantern issue for uh, and I'll give it an eight, mostly for the main story. Yeah, yeah. Unless the backups like so bad that I want to deduct points, or it's so good that it somehow elevates the whole thing, I can just ignore it and rate the main story. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm happy to give it the. I, I'm going to eight point five because I I do think there was just a little bit an intriguing menace at the end as those jets were taken off. That I'm like, okay, you you've actually made me feel something here by the end, and be excited for where the story's going. So and it, but it had its silver agey fun moments as well with Hal coming up with the fun constructs and uh, chatting with Barry and all the rest of it. So oh, good. All right, world's finest Teen Titans issue four. Mark Wade writing with Emanuela Lupacino on the art, and this issue is primarily like a hangout slash sleepover with three of the boys. There's some other stuff going on, but the the focus is very much Wally's house with Aqualad and uh, Roy Speedy. And Speedy's a dick. <laughs> uh, Garth keeps getting picked on, and to the point where Wally's parents are like, "Hey, that dick Roy is a bad influence. We don't like him very much." <laughs> and Roy overhears this and is very angry that he's been spoken about like this. And especially since Garth is kind of the one understanding one, he's like, "Nah, you know, he feels very like alienated and like lonely, it's, and this is how he lashes out." Message. Yeah. Basically, instead of being upset that he gets picked on, Garth just analyzes him and nails him to a T. And this obviously does not, uh, you know, cheer Roy up in any way, shape, or form. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've been enjoying this book. I think it's actually the better of the two world's finest titles. Uh, and I like the other one a lot, but I think this one feels like it's got I'm, more of a, an overall sense of uh, story to me and character I'm building. Really, I'm really mixed on that because I think. Obviously, I've been up and down on the main world's finest book. I think some points it's fantastic, other points it's just okay. Um, if you'd asked me about after the first two issues of this book, I'd have said, yes, it's the better book. These last two felt a little bit more meandering, I suppose. And they're, they're, they're not bad issues by any means. And they're, they're very much, they are doing good character stuff, but I feel like there's not a, a strong story direction for a first arc going on here for me at least ah the character stuff's why i like it so much though like i i think the fact that it takes time to like develop these relationships between all this all the team members you because know, obviously we mainly focus on the three guys here who are hanging out and roy buying the huge tv because he's used to just using oliver's money for stuff uh, and and just all the weird ways garth is kind of different and doesn't do things normally but then you've also got the the Mal and um, Bumblebee stuff uh, with their relationship starting to blossom because she gets him like this gift, which is actually the, the the Guardian Shield, which when he actually tries to use it later turns into the suit. Uh, yeah. You know, so I think I liked how this was bouncing around them. There's like one quick scene with Robin and uh, I think yeah, it's Donna. It's Donna, yeah. And uh, not Hawkboy. What's his name? Golden Eagle. <laughs> yeah. Ex-Golden Eagle. Ex-Golden Eagle, sorry. He scored out, which is a nice touch. Uh, but, 
Yeah, they're selling this idea that I, I think apart from just like dealing with those relationships and like dealing with those dynamics, which I'm really enjoying, sort of like really focusing on, because a lot of this stuff from these characters when they were in this phase of their career was written in like the Silver Age or even like before that in some cases, and it's kind of nice to have a modern comic book sort of tackling some of these relationship dynamics, and I especially like the even though they're never in the same scene together in this issue, the t- discussion of uh garth and donna and how different they are where donna has this like desire to like experience and be stimulated by everything because she comes from a place that didn't have all these other things much like garth in a lot of ways but she wants to see movies and concerts she wants to go to demolition derbies which is apparently what she did in this issue and wrecked a car and won a trophy Uh, she wants to get all the noise whereas garth is like he hates it. He hates the noise. He hates the the crowds. He hates loud music and TVs and all of the stimuli. He's used to things being tranquil and serene and just peaceful in a way that's different. And I wouldn't say I ever cared about their relationship before, but I thought talking about how different they are here did a lot for both of them as characters. Even if I, you know, I don't really care if they get together or stay together or or what necessarily. But I thought this was an interesting way of just sort of tackling how two different people who both come from different civilizations that are separate from the regular world are both having very, very, very different reactions to it and what parts of those things appeal to them. Um, so I, I thought that was really good stuff. Yeah, I, I, say I, I agree. I like all the, the characters that was going on here. Um, I said that, that stuff uh, in particular is really strong. Even Even Roy has like a really... Like strong point about the two of them, right? When when mm. when when this all comes out, you know, and Garth kind of says, "Oh, this I think is what they're all outside." And Roy is like, kind of sticks up for Garth, like, "No, no, no, you be you." And I feel like that that's like the most genuine Roy was in the entire issue, and it kind of got brushed over by everyone else. Like, he didn't acknowledge that he that he was quite genuine there. I think it's because the others, particularly Wally, I think misreads the advice a little bit. I think he reads the advice from Roy as, you know, just just be you, even at the expense of everyone else, because that's how that's how Roy is, right? He shoves who he is in front of everyone constantly, and he's doing it to make up for like what he's missing and what he's lacking. So the, the advice is kind of tainted in a way, but even though it actually is good advice, like if you if you just pay attention to like. The, the core part of it which is yeah just be yourself like that that part's good like yeah you know don't worry about you being you but yeah it comes from this place where he like almost is too much of that and that's kind of what comes up uh you know between the other characters later when they're talking about roy and it is yeah so i i, I like that I, I think it's a it's, it's just a little bit nuanced i appreciate all the character building obviously it's not an issue where a lot of the action happens you know robin's talking about you know looking into this stuff that toy man's been up to or toy boy and you know then there's this attack on uh bumblebee and that at the end of the issue which is you know kind of the action leading into what we're going to be doing next uh yeah. but i i appreciate that and i i think it taking time especially you know, this is issue what three four four oh. and i think you know if let's say we're in the middle of a six issue arc this feels at the right time for this sort of part of the story where we slow down and we have all the characters kind of the problem is for me, especially as I read these issues back to back, issue three was basically that as well. Yeah, true. 
it, like that's that's like I said, it's it's. I'm a little less hot on this book after this issue than I was after issue two. Because if it was just like one issue like this in the middle of an arc, yeah, sure, I I, I get that. But it feels like it's really slowed down because issue three was just oh they were they were all at the uh, they were at the the fan convention. And a lot of that was just you know the the characters them kind of just reacting to each other as well. The, and yeah, that's why it feels a little bit like it's it's lacking some momentum right now for me. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see what they what they do with the ongoing threat as the next issue or two kind of kind of progress. Um, I, I think I I'm just appreciating that it is taking this time to actually develop the entire team. Like we're actually getting something with all the characters and how they all interact with each other. We've not had yeah. every pairing yet, for sure, but uh, all all the ones we've had have been have been quite interesting, and I I, I, mean, I appreciate that. I think it's a good little character book for the entire team, which is which is cool. And I, I don't doubt that there's going to be some fun, you know, villains for them to fight, you know, down the line, uh, if not very next issue. So uh, uh, yeah, next issue looks like it. It yeah. should be pretty action oriented, based off of the cliffhanger of this. But I mean, yeah. you could also just do that in three pages, and that could be it for all we know. Uh, very possibly. It's worth mentioning. Mal doesn't want to be a superhero. He sort of like sort of declines it, but she's like, "No, just keep the the shield just in case." But if you ever do decide to change your mind, hit the button on the back, and of course, immediately they're in an action scene, and he's like, "Shit! Like, there's people in danger. Of course, I'm going to do it. Of course, I'm going to yeah. be the reluctant hero." So. Uh, he becomes guardian because apparently he's a newsboy legion uh, nerd. That's why. Yeah, that's yeah. why she gave him it. There must be dozens of those. I mean, it's basically Matt. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, it's basically Matt. So, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that, we should probably mention that the villain here, uh, this this red character, to to I don't even remember who that says. Uh, they're doing this, they're, they're trying to kill a titan to be initiated into a supervillain team, and I do think it's interesting that they maybe came after Bumblebee thinking, oh, Bumblebee will be the easiest one, because it's Bumblebee, but obviously underestimating her, and also underestimating the fact that there's a second character here with a... Yeah, yeah he's throwing a guardian, yeah. So, well, we'll see We'll see where that goes. Uh, but no, I'm digging it. I, I don't have as much of a problem right now, because I'm just so into the character stuff, but... I, I can you know, eventually, yeah, it does have to like ramp up and give us the uh, the momentum, like you say, as well. Uh, but for now, I'm kind of enjoying it as like a teen, like almost like an Archie book, <laughs> I guess, in a way. It definitely has that vibe to it, yeah. Yeah, and didn't Mark Wade write Archie at one point? He did, yeah, he did, yeah. So I'm kind of down for that. Uh, what are you rating World's Finest Teen Titans issue four? Um. I'm gonna give it a six point five. It's it's all right. It's not oh. quite good for me. Like I said, I think it's compounded a little bit by of having issue three be a similar vibe as well. Like with and, and this lacking the momentum. Okay. It's not all just this issue. Uh, and I without really mentioned it, but I'll just mention as I'm doing my rating here the art by Lupacino. Oh, it's uh, still great. Yeah, it's, it's it's very pleasing, and I think the fact that it is very much the teen drama focus so far is helped by the fact that Lupacino is very good with the expressions, very... Like, we have, you know, Royce, uh, Wally, and Garth, or they're not in costume this issue, they're all wearing t-shirts and stuff. Uh, Wally's got the ginger hair, so he sticks out quite quickly, but... And Roy's still got his baseball cap. Yeah, so it's a... Simple things, but I, I do think Lupacino does a good job with all their mannerisms, and the way they're kind of, you know, bouncing off of each other. 
Um, you know, little things like Wally being annoyed when Speedy's a dick, so he super speeds and like makes his dart miss the board, or at least gets a little scoring shot. Uh, yeah. And he's like, ah, that can't make sense. I'm I'm Red Arrow, or I'm Speedy. Like I should yeah. be so, this. something as well. I am um, uh, Belair's colors. I really like the the subtle shift where all the stuff out of costume with the with the guys. It's like these really flat colors. Um, not in a bad way, but like they are flat. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you go to the stuff in costume, uh, like even if you just look at the the page of uh, Robin and Donna, uh, that that first page, they're so much more vibrant. Like even the same colors, like the the reds and the oranges and the yellows, mm. they're just brighter uh, and they stand out so much more when they're in costume. More shading uh, as well, nice I would say page. as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. So. Yeah, it's good. I, I, honest, for for me, it's a solid eight. Uh, I, I I'm really enjoying the book. So, as World Finest Teen Titans, Wesley Dodds, The Sandman, Issue One, Robert Vendetti, and Riley Rosmo on art. This is the first of these Golden Age character series that have been launching, kind of loosely tying into GSA. And uh, I was down for a Wesley Dodd Sandman book. That's uh, like a fun time. However, I did shudder a little bit at the sight of the artist's name. And I guess that's something we're going to talk about. So you did read this, right? Unfortunately. <laughs> oh, the, 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 the misery is already coming out. Oh, look, you haven't had to read anywhere near as much shitty Rosmo as I have. To be fair, I don't think this is as bad as some of the stuff from him that I've really... Dis- like. I mean, don't get me wrong, it helps that when he's got the mask on, the Sandman mask looks fine. <laughs> you know, the gas yeah, mask and the hat. can't make it look like he's got a stupid long face, yes. a stupid round face. I don't think all of the faces look too bad in this, compared to what they can for, for Rosmo, typically. It's still not really to my taste as much, but... I mean, what did you think of the story, though? Did you like the, the story it told? Honestly, it's just fine. I don't think there is that much story here right now. I don't think it's a particularly okay. exciting issue one. It's not bad. I, I want to make that very clear. I don't think it's you know a bad story or anything. Um, but it is very much an introduction, and it's quite a slow introduction at that. I think I appreciate that actually. Um, which is not to say that I like you know I don't love Rosmo's art, right? I flat out dislike it. Uh when he's at his worst and i think there's moments in this where the faces go a bit rosmo but it's never what that martian manhunter book that he did like i i I hated the art in that book i did forget because obviously i scanned the preview last time just because you you, i flicked past it yeah yeah i'd forgotten how much the guy at the start looks like nixon with a tommy gun for no reason (laughs) um you know i I think, I will say this, his backgrounds here, I do quite like, and I think fit the Golden Age time period quite well. You know, the house, the, you know, the locations, you know, it's, it's the people of his art that I don't like, <laughs> but the yeah. the backgrounds are, are, are fine for me. Um, I think the introduction makes sense to me, because Wesley Dodds is not as much of a well-known character as a lot of DC characters, right? He's, he's even though I like him from GSA, like, or, you know, I like Sand from GSA. I don't, Wesley Dodds himself, I don't really have read that much of. If really any, no, to most be honest. Most people are, yeah. I think. So I kind of appreciate the introduction of, okay, he's trying to pitch the military this gas that's non-lethal, that'll like stop fights. Um, but the, the general or whoever this is, the major, is like, don't be preposterous. What are we going to do with all those unconscious like 
men after we've like won the battle because right, this is right near the start of world war Two. Right? i think it's I think. during it because they mentioned all the fighting yeah, yeah but i think it's Europe. i don't think it's like that far into it it's before us got involved is what you're saying i think yeah it must be yeah yeah it probably says it to start with the us to be honest <laughs> i mean uh summer 1940 there you go so yeah. yeah so the war started but it's before the us have got involved yeah so yeah like and he's like yeah and to be fair like as much as this comes across as like the evil military man not one kind of has a point yeah he doesn't want to do the it, it comes across initially as he just doesn't want to do the pacifist thing but he does have a point is what do you do with all of these unconscious you know soldiers from the enemy when you win the fight like do you build a fence around them <laughs> Do you, do you go through and take all their weapons away? Like, there's a lot of logistics here that are actually quite good points. Yeah. Like, as horrific as it is to say, well, it's easier to kill them, kind of is easier to kill them. Don't right? get me wrong, uh, though. Don't get me wrong. I think the response should be, there's all these logistics problems, so we have to start thinking about that, because obviously we should take the non-lethal option. That should, like, despite yes. me saying he's got some good points... The non-lethal option should still be what they want to do and what they want to work towards. But he does have some good points about how, why there's, you know, things exactly. to solve. And I think there's a fair point from from the general side of things of we're kind of already at war. It's a bit late now. Like, we don't have time to start thinking about these logistics now the war's already going. This is something you need to have in place as a long-term plan, right? Mm. Whereas right now people are dying and if we don't send people with guns in that you know they might win right I, I can definitely understand his his side of this and i think i like even like the, like rosma's art kind of shades him as so villainous by the way he's there you know bathed in the shadow and the just you know yeah, well, just his teeth grinning like it's, it looks so evil and sinister. But to be fair like it, his final lines on the subject do get more villainous where he's like maiming and killing is simpler and cheaper lethal is what we do like he is veering into the military man who just likes killing people he is but no one like let's like say oh you know he, he can say, oh, you know, we should be thinking about these logistics but Donald doesn't argue that back there is no suggestion of that it's just a oh yeah. well I, I guess so I mean, that's the thing, is that he doesn't give him a chance to really suggest anything. He just immediately is like, this is over. You know, when he tries to say something else, he's like, oh, no, we're done here. I've got another meeting yeah. to go to. Go away. And this obviously bums Wesley out. And it's this idea that he wanted to, like, do something good for the world that wasn't just being this vigilante. And I think it's, he's quite a batman character, and he's, he's not a mansion, but it's a big house. He's got a butler who helps him with everything he does. And I guess the difference is, is that he's got a girlfriend who knows who he is. And she's even like, hey, like, I'm excited that you're going to contribute something as Wesley Dodds and not as the other guy. And I thought, okay, that's quite interesting. That's an interesting dynamic, uh, especially yeah. in this pulpier time period that we're dealing with. Uh, but he's, he's kind of bummed out at this part of the all go to. He's like, I'm not really in the mood to be around someone's all this success right now. So he goes home, or actually doesn't go home. He goes to the car and gets out his Sandman outfit to go and just sort of let off some steam as a vigilante, which it does raise some health or some, you know, is that healthy mentally to be going out and beating like criminals up when you're in a bad mood? I don't know. I mean, not, but I bet it feels good. It probably does feel great. Because uh, he even says in his narration, because the, the book opens with him narrating and saying, you know, I need to get away from this dark lifestyle. I need to do something good that isn't with this. And at the end of the book, after he's failed to like sell this, this tech to the military, he's like, 
maybe this is where I belong, in the streets, fighting the scum. <laughs> like, you know, he, he changes his tune quite significantly. As all this stuff towards the end is playing out, though, there's these panels of someone going through his basement and finding his Sandman stuff, but more importantly, finding his, his book that's got all of his formula in there. And he mentioned earlier on in the book that all of his ideas here, like when he started like developing his gas that he uses as a vigilante and as he's been developing things until he's gotten to this, this non-lethal stuff, is that just by the nature of going through all the different options and all the different like variables, is that he's effectively invented a lot of really bad things that could be absolutely monstrous if anyone ever gets their hands on them. And the end of the yeah, issue... Maybe he should have burned those himself to begin with. He probably should have just burned the notebook so no one could find them because, yeah, someone, some nefarious thief has found this book and has set his home on fire and that's the big final cliffhanger of the issue. It's him running home to his dad's house that his dad gave him when he died. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think I mostly like the story. I like the slower introduction. I appreciate that it presents us with this character who's trying to get out of this life and thinks that there's a, a better way of contributing so even though there's some comparisons with Batman, it feels like there's some just direct things that he's doing that are a little bit different. I appreciate all that stuff. Uh, the art is the biggest I think, like I said, for like, me. I said the story is fine. Like, I don't. I don't think it's an amazing story in this issue. I think it, you know you you could this could definitely build into an amazing story over six issues. Absolutely. Um, but right here in this issue, it's fine. I think if you give me this story with a really good artist that I like, mm. I'm probably a lot more invested in it than I am right now. I think, I think that's this, fair. This is, this is a fine story told by, in my opinion, a bad artist, or at least an artist <laughs> that I dislike. Yeah, that... So it makes it harder to enjoy. It I definitely was a bit of a hurdle as I was reading it, but I was enjoying learning more about the character and the direction the story's like taken is in at least so far. I yeah. think, like, I think I'm down to read issue two. I think I want to see where the story goes. It's the sort of thing where I agree if the art was was someone I liked, or even you know, obviously the dream is is like a, an amazing artist every time. You're always going to want that, but you know, even if it was like a house style artist, I'd probably like it yeah, a little bit more. more. Yeah, yeah. Um, the dream, of course, though, is someone even better than that. Like, give me, I don't know, like. I think who would I like doing this like this 1940s Frank Avella kind of... oh man if this was Frank Avella <laughs> this would be like the best book this week because <laughs> no, yeah, the, the, yeah, it's all well and good saying oh you know the, the writing the art like it's comics they're, they're very heavily intertwined the way the story is presented even even with the writing you know being you know, written by someone else it is the artist doing that that heavy lifting and the way that it's presented to, to us and the way you you know you consume yeah. it yeah I think Part of the appeal here is because it is a character I've not really read much about before. I'm enjoying the just discovering. Okay, this is what a story about this character and his prime is like. Because you know, like, much like I was saying about uh, World's Finest Teen Titans and seeing that time period of their existence being told in a modern style, I kind of feel that same way about learning about Wesley Dodds and seeing a story told about him. Uh, and I think that's doing a bit of helping here. Like I, I think if this was like, oh, I'd already read like a few Wesley Dodge stories over the past few years, this would be less appealing. That, but I think as it is, like I'm enjoying I, I get I get focus. that. I think honestly, this makes me more interested to go and read Sandman Mystery Theater oh, yeah. than it does to read the rest of this. Because at least that looks 
more to my tastes from what I've seen of it. And that's the only big Wesley Dodds run, it is, right? It is, like 70 odd issues. Yeah, but it's, it's like he's got that one yeah. prestigious run and then nothing else really. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm sure there's some Golden Age comics that he's in, but like I don't think there's... That's the big one, yeah. That's, yeah. that's the, the main thing. And, and obviously I'm, I, I'd want more in the same way that we, you were getting these, you know, the, the Jay Garrick and the Alan Scott books coming out. I'm glad there's more of these characters, especially in a in a modern context. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm really happy about that. And yeah, I, I hope I, I'm still into the overall ideas come next issue. Uh, but the art does obviously drag it down a bit. But I, I like what it's doing with the character. I'm enjoying learning about him, at least. That's something. Mm-hmm. So uh, what are you rating Wesley Dodds, the Sandman issue one? Um, I'm probably going to give it a... F- five and that sounds really harsh but for me it was just it was just an okay book with a artist i didn't enjoy so honestly the fact that it's a five with rosmo art is probably quite high for me yeah i'm a little conflicted on what you rate this because the rating alone if i'm just enjoying the story it's probably like a 7.5 thereabouts uh, but yeah. obviously, I don't really like Rosmo Art that much. I, don't hate, I mean, this is definitely not anywhere near the, the worst of what I've seen of him, though, or t- to my taste. I, so, I would agree with that as well, to be fair. Uh, so I think I'm going to... I'll probably average it out about a six, I think. Uh, but it's, I think it's an interesting six, and it, it, as long as it's not t- such a busy week, and given that it's probably going to be similar to this week, next month, I imagine I'll be quite happy to read this year too, and uh, hopefully by that point I'll be more invested and it'll be more bulletproof from being dropped if you will from busier weeks because i'll just be into it at that point but i'm definitely doubting with another issue at least so uh that is wesley dodds the sandman danger street issue 10 tom king writing with jorge fornes on our i'm sad that matt ended up not being able to make it this week because obviously danger street he also reads and we have really good conversations about it and instead i have to look at connor and his dumb ginger beard sitting there quietly <laughs> majestic ginger beard thank you very much majestic there's nothing about you that's I, maj- I, I, did, did you majestically fall to the floor when a little puppy ran up towards you and you get so scared you broke your arm medium-sized dog knocked me into the road <laughs> i don't believe a word of it i did also i did have another dog related incident a few weeks ago that near that could that could have been embarrassing <laughs> i was i was out running at like 3 a.m and a dog came running out of the dark. Like, about 3 a.m., it is dark. It comes running out of the woods that are just off the just off the path. There's a little path, and it's like, you know, 40 feet. But you can't see into them at night when it's that dark. Mm-hmm. So I have, not, like, you know, just out of the peripheral vision, there is, like, a, like a, some sort of, like, bull terrier running at me. And I tried to turn, because I'm like, what the fuck? going on like i'm like what the hell there's this dog running at me 3 a.m barking loudly and i slipped on on because it was a i was on grass and the grass was wet so i slipped and i lost my foot and, and i fell i was like oh god not again i can't i can't not again i'd never live it down but yeah that was fine it's all good no injuries okay no injuries and the dog was not that actually that bad. i you know, literally called the dog and it went straight out it, it didn't like as opposed to the first time where the dog actively attacked and tried to bite this one did not Al- allegedly just, which we, allegedly it did i, I haven't heard anything from this dog's lawyers uh, on this oh. subject yet 
Uh, anyway, Danger Street is what I'm talking about. Tom King and uh, Arnie Fornes. So, uh, last issue was the the every the entire book was the one fight scene on top of the the building, and it was a wonderful, uh, creative issue that was challenging. And you know, me and Matt really sort of dug into it and uh, got into all the things it was doing with the the back and forth of the two characters. Here we have where you know, we return to all the other characters again. And the, the book opens with Jack Reacher finding the bodies of the two soldiers of you know, Codename Assassin and Manhunter on the roof. Uh, but there's a great little first page before that, though, where he's he's on his way up to the roof and there's a woman in the elevator who has accidentally got into an elevator going up when she wants to go down. And they basically just awkwardly kind of talk about how that's, you know, unfortunate and... Uh, you know, Jack's kind of awkward because he's like, hey, I bet you want to know about this black eye that I've got, and it's just this very awkward, stilted conversation. Uh, but I can't help but feel that the whole metaphor of, of having to go in the wrong direction first to then be on the right direction is a bit of a metaphor for some of the characters on this book. Probably Jack Reacher specifically. Uh, but Lady Cop's on her way back home. She's very frustrated because she never got to meet the Commodore. She is going back home to try and deal with the fact that, you know, the kids and Starman and Warlord did that prison break. It was a whole thing. So all that's going on, and she's got the, the helmet of fate. And the way this issue all kind of builds up is that by the end of the issue, we realize that every single character needs that helmet for one thing or another. Uh, you know, basically all for various different things but the the kids and warlord want it because they need it to resurrect their fallen you know comrade the the the, the kid who died in issue one uh there's a great conversation here actually uh between warlord and non-fat the one who's always eaten uh about the justice league where basically he he brings up uh, needing the Justice League, and the kid says, wait, aren't you the Justice League? And he's like, no, I'm not. And he starts talking about how, you know, we wanted to do this thing, and we fled our homes. Then we were part of a team, and we fled that. And then when we tried to do this thing to prove that we were better than we were by, you know, trying to fight Darkseid, but event that ended up getting the kid killed, they ran away from that too. They keep running away, so we're definitely not Justice League. So it's a very kind of sobering conversation where Warlord's very frank about how he feels about himself. And then Nonfat's like, well, maybe you're not Justice League, but, you know, I'm still standing here despite everything that's going on. Maybe I'm Justice League. And he's like, you know, I don't disagree. Uh, basically, it was a really interesting, like, conversation. There. It, just, it, it felt like a, a really just analysis of what makes a hero and maybe kind of the repeated things that the warlord and starman and co kind of had been doing and how they feel about it now and all the sense of regrets because uh, it ties in neatly to a conversation i'm just going to skip ahead here to a later scene where warlord goes to speak to starman and starman's in the bed he's still injured from before and basically they want to try and track down where the helmet of fate is because they need it and he's like, okay, I think I can track it using my powers. And he's like, but wouldn't that hurt you? What In this state, wouldn't that kill you? And he's like, I don't know. And it becomes this conversation about how, you know, this all happened because we wanted to prove that we were better because we wanted to be Superman. And the scene's kind of sweet by the time it ends because 
Starman's like, well, if we did all this and then I sat here and said, no, I'm not going to risk my life to try and find the Helmet of Fate to save a boy's life, then that would be pretty shitty. That would be pretty awful. So I'm going to do it because we're Superman. And it's this really sweet thing where the previous scene with Warlord was basically him saying all the reasons why they're not heroes and why they're not Justice League and why they, they aren't what they always thought they could be. And then Starman here saying, no, we are that, and I'm going to do the right thing here, even though it puts me at risk. So it's kind of a, a sweet one-two payoff of, like, no, we can be heroes, and this is Starman doing something just purely heroic, because he should. And it makes me think that Warlord may have a similar moment coming up in the last two issues, possibly right before he dies, if I was to make a guess, because this book feels quite willing to kill a lot of these characters off. So... I thought that was really great. Um, there's a great scene with uh, Jack, Reacher, and the Commodore on the roof looking at the bodies, and the Commodore just casually lets it out that he knows that Reacher's the Creeper, and he's like, on your knee, Creeper. And he basically tries to appoint Creeper as his new knight to replace Codename Assassin. He's like, hey, you're going to serve me. Uh, you're going to do everything for me. And Reacher clearly scared in the moment because Commodore's got this crystal sword to his neck because he's knighting him effectively. And he's like, yeah, sure, I work for you. And he's like, yeah, damn right you do. And so he's seemingly taking this role. Again, I don't think it's going to last because I feel like Jack Reacher is a bit more sympathetic than that. Uh, but it all bubbles up because when they're in his office, uh, Outside the window, the outsiders show up, the, meaning the, the other kids who are all kind of weird and have weird powers and have weird monster parts. The kids who failed at the game on the playground in the flashback. Uh, was that two issues ago? Three issues ago? Whenever we got that scene? But they show up and Creeper starts fighting them all. Um, and it's a whole big thing. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, oh, actually, slight correction. I said that Starman was trying to find the, the Helmet of Fate. He was not. He was trying to find where Orion was because Orion had stolen the body of the dead kid. That's what he was looking for. Forgive me, I was jumping ahead because it's the, they need the Helmet of Fate after that. Uh, in fact, everyone does. So, uh, yeah. So he, he... Once they find him, Warlord goes and finds uh, Orion and... Uh, basically tries to ask for the kid's body back. Um, Orion gets quite pissy about it, grabs him by the neck. Um, but Warlord's like, basically bargains with him and tells him that he has the soul that Orion's looking for. You know, the whole thing is that Orion was sent to get this soul uh, from, uh, oh, who was the, the new god character that died in the, first issue or the second issue, I can't remember. The one that came through the portal instead of Darkseid and ended up being killed. The reason why they sent Orion here in the first place was because with that soul unleashed, it's something apocalyptic is going to happen that both Highfather and Darkseid are scared shitless of. So this this makes uh, Orion change his tune. He lets Warlord go and he's like, alright, talk. We'll explain this. Um, and he's like, I need the body, I need the helmet, and if we revive the kid, I, I can get you the soul. I don't know if he's telling the truth. In fact, I, if I was to give you my guess here, is that he is bluffing so that Orion will help, 
and he doesn't care what the consequences are when Orion finds out he's lying. Because if they save the kid, they save the kid, and I don't think he cares about anything else. Now, I could be wrong about that, but that's the vibe I'm getting from him in this moment. This is him doing the heroic thing. This is him doing what Starman just did by doing something that may get him killed because it's the right thing to do. Uh, so I think that's very interesting. He, he does lead them to where the, the kid's body's buried. Uh, that happens towards the end. Uh, so that's all all very good. Uh, yeah, uh, Creeper's fighting the Outsiders and is very confused by the whole thing. Uh, is you know he he starts laughing at one point because he's like, wait a minute, you guys are the Outsiders all this time. The Outsiders were a bunch of kids, and he doesn't quite understand. He thinks it's hilarious. And the outsiders aren't very amused, though. They're they're kind of crying and screaming. They're angry, and they're mad that they're different. And they're mad that they're different just because they steps outside the lane, right? That they all that was the thing. It all went back to this kids' game where they were playing in the playground, and the outsiders were the ones who failed and didn't be successful. And because of that, they have been led down this life where they are the freaks, where they are the ones that are different. They've not been given the wealth. So all this coming to to a head is uh, very exciting, and you realize, oh shit, we're actually only two issues away from the end now, uh, and it's all going down. Uh, Creeper tries to talk to the, the main outsider girl down. Uh, she's the one who's actually got the Commodore in her tentacles and is kind of like, you know, holding him and threatening him and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, she just wants her life back. She wants to be normal again. Uh, and Creeper actually starts asking questions uh, about what this is. And then it all turns out that what the Outsiders want is the Helmet of Fate. That's what they need for things to go back to the way they're supposed to be to, for, to fix them. Um, so we, as we get to this final page, we realize that the Outsiders want the Helmet of Fate, the Dingbats and Warlord and that want the Helmet of Fate to raise the kid, uh, and the Helmet of Fate, who's narrating at the start and the end, actually says, they all need me! And that's sort of the to-be-continued it leaves on. Um, but yeah, it, it looks like uh, the outsider girl is hugging Creeper on that last page. It's hard to read. Like, maybe they're implying that she's squeezing him in, in a painful way, but it looks like they're hugging. Like, maybe he is actually listening to her and it's progressing. And I'm not actually sure, but the Commodore might be dead. I don't know if... Maybe she just dropped him, but he's lying on the floor at the end of the book. So that could really go either way. Uh, it's right underneath a panel, though, of the dead kid from Under the Rock. Uh, the one that Orion's, you know, digging up uh, for, for Warlord. So I'm very curious to see like, what they do with Commodore in these last couple issues, if they do anything with them, really. Um, but it is worth mentioning, though, Darkseid seems a little bit happier about the way things are going, even though... Because, like, Highfather's, like, passing out and, like, crying to, like, the heavens that, you know, the apocalypse is coming, and... Darkseid seems to be a bit more in favour of it now. He's got a bit of a smirk on his face. Also, Orion, I should point out, is wearing a t-shirt that says Darkseid is on it. So, that's a that's a thing that's happening. Uh, which is funny, given that he's actually been raised by Highfather. Feels like a weird, like, you know, blood, blood sticker and water kind of thing for him to be wearing a Darkseid t-shirt. But, hey... Uh, as a Tom King book, he's uh referencing his own shit at this point, so that's okay. So, yeah, uh, so yeah, the, the book, apart from showing that everyone wants this helmet, which Lady Cop has, might we add, 
she mentions she's going to go look for the dingbats at the end. She's on the phone to another cop or whatever and says she's going to go find them. Um, yeah. Honestly, I feel like my thoughts here were very scattershot, and that's because the book is jumping around a lot of characters again. Uh, it's jumping between the different scenes. We got Lady Cop on her way home. She's got a quick scene in the plane that I didn't even mention because it just was breaking the flow of everything else I was talking about. Uh, but I thought all the stuff with Starman and Warlord being reflective about who they were, first between Warlord and the kids and then Warlord and Starman, I thought that was really good stuff about them kind of feeling regret about who they are and what they've done and maybe they can have some form of redemption before they go out. I really enjoyed that moment uh, in those scenes. I'm liking the tease of like Orion being involved again and how Darkseid feels about that and this idea that Creeper might just have immediately betrayed the Commodore once he finds out who the Outsiders actually are. Because before the Outsiders show up, Jack Reacher is like, hey, we should put this on the news tonight and talk about how the Outsiders are, are coming and they're here and they're getting they're more dangerous than ever. They've killed your bodyguard kind of thing. And Commodore's like, ah, nah, we don't have to talk about it. It's fine. Because in fact, the Commodore the entire time is just concerned that his arm that was made out of diamond, which Codename Assassin took and turned it into a, a sword made out of diamond, now he's just mad that he wants it back into an arm and he's wondering if there's anyone he can pay to turn it back into an arm. And I'm I'm not sure that's how diamonds work. I mean, maybe in a world where there's magic and shit, <laughs> maybe he can do it. I don't think you can do it uh, in, a, in a real world sense, but hey, what do I know? I'm no expert. So... No, I mean, the book, you know, it, it feels like it's crescendoing. I think that's the big thing that I got out of this, is that everything's kind of coming together, and it feels like for the first time you can see how a lot of these plot threads are going to be coming together. Like, honestly, everything with the green team has never felt like it connects in any way to the stuff with the Dingbats and Warlord and Starman. All that stuff has felt like, at the very least, everything's been kind of split into two, and it's really only the Helmet of Fate and Lady Cop in the last couple of issues going to visit the Commodore that's even loosely connected them for the most part. They've felt very, very separate. But finally all these things coming together and allegiances maybe starting to form and if not alliances, certainly a willingness to work together for some kind of like common goal. It, it really does feel like after a lot of like separation everything's starting to click together and obviously the art is 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 there it's it's phenomenal this is probably the most expressive we've ever seen creeper be in the book uh the way he's smelling and laughing as he's talking to the outsiders is really well done uh there's a lot of expression there that's really good uh elsewhere like i said some of the conversations that are happening in the book are very you know, they're very nuanced conversations about regret. They're very nuanced conversations about, like, who we are. And I think the art does a great job of, you know, showing Starman not just looking sad, but look, looking like he's really thinking about something, like he's making a choice. Uh, like, I think all that stuff is is really well done. And some of the biggest strength in the art in this book has been just how good the the performances of the characters are via the art. Um, Jack Reacher's face when the Commodore says, or calls him Creeper, and he's like, excuse me? And he tries to deny it for a bit, but, you know, it's all kind of moot at that point. I mean, it's obviously, this one doesn't have the big gimmick as last issue, because last issue had that thing where every single page was split down the middle, and one side was one character, the other side was the other character, and they were fighting the whole issue, so it had this gimmick you were sort of following throughout the whole thing. 
this doesn't have that, and that, that that's perfectly fine. It's a normal issue, and the other issues have been all been great uh, with with how they've flowed. And this issue is no exception to that. Uh, so yeah, it, it's just it's really good stuff. Uh, I it's a really exciting read. It was the thing I was looking forward to most this week. And now that we're getting up near the end, and I don't think any of these 12 issue books that King's done, uh, barring the Batman Catwoman one, which is kind of an outlier because it was different even in its conception, uh, have, have fallen flat with the ending. So it's really exciting seeing where this is going and what the ultimate point is going to be. Uh, so, you know, I'm looking forward to having Matt back for the last two issues just so we can have like a, a proper discussion on it. Uh, because they always lead to really good discussions. So, yeah, exciting stuff. Uh, it's a pretty straightforward 9 out of 10 for this, for me. Uh, that's Dangerous Street issue 10. Uh, looking forward to the next couple issues. So, very good. Uh, like I say, everything coming together is super exciting. And, uh, yeah. All right. Batman City of Madness issue 1, Christian Ward, both writing and on art. This is the new Black Label book. This is your prestige format, 45 to 50 pages. Uh, widescreen. Yeah. You know, they, they refer to it as widescreen with the uh, the slightly different page uh, size. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, there's a, there's a two-page spread, like a couple of pages in, which is quite stark. It's quite stunning, you know, because you... Yeah. You get that first page, and then you get this big wide. Uh, this, the, the format does excel with the the two page spreads. Yeah, because you, you get uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like Batman and Silhouette running across a rooftop in the foreground, but you see like the entire city of Gotham behind them. It's just gorgeous. It's, it's you know, yeah. it's, it's it's where the books just singing I mean, and dancing. No one came into this booked out in Ward's art. We we've we've seen that time and time again. We know his stuff is gorgeous. That, that it was is just true. a question yeah. whether or not he could write to back it up. Which leads us to the question as if you know, to answer that, like as a did you like the book? I did. I will say I was not mixed on it, but I was like unsure still, probably maybe sixty percent into the issue. And there's a point towards the end where I'm like Oh, oh, that's what this is doing. I'm and and it really got me more excited <laughs> I think, for the rest of it. I think I had a similar. I was enjoying it. I wouldn't say I was mixed. I would say I was maybe more positive, and I was enjoying it. But it felt like the story's fine, but the art is gorgeous, and it's worth being yeah. here for that. And then there's a point, and you know, and I appreciated that it was bringing in Court of Owls and stuff like that. But there's a point. <laughs> There's about, a point where you see what the thing was that got out. Yes, of the basically, yeah. There's a decapitation and then a full-page spread. And then once that hits, it's like, oh, okay, I think I love this now. All right. Yep. That's the, that's the exact moment where... I say, up to that point, I'm like, this is perfectly good. You know, I say mixed because it wasn't like blowing me away with the writing, but it was fine. Art was gorgeous throughout, obviously. Yeah. You know, and then we, it got to that page where it, it, there, it's a seemingly a Batman decapitating someone, and it's like, well, that was weird. And then the reveal. And I was like, oh, oh, I'm in. Yeah. yeah we get a little bit of Alfred's perspective, uh, talking about his day and like waiting up for Bruce and how it wrecks him. Uh, obviously, there's a bit of Two-Face stuff. Batman shows up to deal with Two-Face and Two-Face is asking for help, which is very interesting because later on we find out that the doctors think there's a third personality now. But then when he talks to Two-Face, Harvey's like, no, 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 no. 
we're two-faced we know who we both are and it's just us two but there is another voice sort of being transmitted in it's not another personality there's some sort of voice coming from somewhere else uh yeah and i was like okay that's fascinating that's a good idea the very first bit with Two-Face made me question like when this was set in terms of Batman's career. Sure. Because I think there's a guy that calls him like Half-Face or Other-Face or something, but like distinctly not Two-Face. Mm. And I was like, that that was weird. And uh, I guess it's just this guy being weird. Yeah. yeah because cause... obviously as soon as Batman gets there, it's like, oh, Two-Face, this isn't his usual shtick or back to his normal stick. Yeah, and later you see Barbara, you see the Robin outfits in the cave, you know. Yeah, uh... it's, it's pretty clear this is later Batman. Yeah. Uh, I do like the idea, though, of Two-Face moving into a building that was half-finished, so it's actually a Two-Faced building. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a little bit of backstory. You know, Batman explains why it was unfinished, but uh, I-, I enjoyed Doesn't that. Uh, yeah. So, and we're also... So the are two big plot threads we're introduced to is this businessman who turns out to be a member of the Court of the Owls who kills this guy who's asking too many questions in the elevator uh because they're talking it was teased at the start uh, the opening scene had some news in the background about a sinkhole in gotham and this is what they're talking about in this boardroom scene uh but it turns out this guy's from the court of vowels and he's like no we live down here if there's you know this underground river is causing problems we're going to deal with it but once he gets down there um we get this betrayal of another court of vowels member who basically wants to unleash whatever this monster is that's behind this big door and this is something it, it they've been guarding. doesn't seem to believe there is, like, a real monster. Like, almost. The, the way it talks yeah. about it, like, oh, it's just a myth. Yeah, you, th- you think it's a myth, but the other one, the, the main one we met, is adamant, no, we can never open this door. This is, you know, but then he sees he the right. doors. <laughs> yeah, but then he sees the doors opened, and the other, you know, ta- you know he's not a talon, sorry, he's just a, he's just one of the owls. He tries to kill him, and he ends up fighting. It's actually a talon who comes in and kills this sort of betraying member of the court of owls that yeah and he talks about oh you're from like house something or other like there's yeah. these different factions within the owls clearly which i think is fascinating we haven't really seen any of that which but it makes sense yeah and then it's this maybe entire house that might have like sort of changed their beliefs and they wanted to open this door and we only get a silhouette here but we see a it looks like a batman you know in silhouette yeah coming out of this door uh, this made me, of all things, this made me think a lot of the extended cut of Alien Three, because okay. it, there's an entire section in Alien Three in the extended cut, not the original cut, where they've lo- they actually trap it in this room that only has one entrance and there's no way out, and there's this devout crazy guy who's starting to worship the alien who opens the door and lets it back out, and it was make this was making me think of that subplot. Uh, I can see it. It's yeah. completely cut out of the theatrical cut, but it's in the longer one. Uh, it's, a, it's a better version. It's not a great movie still, but it's a better version of the movie. Um, it's a low bar, but yeah. But yeah, it, you know, so this talent gets heavily injured, as they point out later, because they want to try and bring him back to snuff. Was it just me, or would they try to imply this with someone, maybe Asriel or something like that? Because of the, the long hair? Um, it's just the art. It was, it was the way they revealed him in a full-page spread. I'm like, I feel like I might know who this is, and the only person I could think of that kind of fit his description was Azrael. Uh, I can't say I got that, but I might have just missed... I might be reading too much into it. It may, it may be nothing. It was just it was the way they kind of talked about him, and then they, re- they did this full-page spread revealing him lying in the table with the long hair, and I went, uh, is that someone... I don't know. I think the way, the, the way it's coloured, it's kind of hard to tell. Because he's like a, it's like a, almost like grayed out. It's like a very gray mm. body, right? 
But either way, whatever this monstrous thing under the city is, it's now unleashed. And the other subplot that we're following this issue is this kid, this sort of like early teens character, who's coming to Gotham, and we don't know why at first. You know, he's in the opening scene buying the bus ticket or whatever it is. And when he arrives to Gotham, he's looking for the police station. And the backstory is, is that his father was killed in Gotham by a corrupt cop. And then they later, to explain it, said that he was a, a drug dealer to sort of like get the cut off scot-free. But he was actually a piano teacher and innocent. Um, and notably black. Or at least as far as this kid believes was innocent. I, I'm, I'm inclined to believe him, but they, they could potentially swerve down the line. I mean, they could, but I mean, as far as we know right now, he's just an innocent black man who was murdered by a corrupt cop. And she's very believable in Gotham. Yeah, and the kid's sh- shown up here, and he's got a gun, and he wants to murder this cop. Uh, the cop actually notices he's been watched by this kid and sends over who else but the terrible trio who he's who he's working with apparently to uh, try and rough the kid up. Which we'll get to that in a little bit though, because that's where the shit hits the fan. That's where all the plots. Well, not the Batman plot, but the other plots all converge there. Uh, Batman goes to Arkham to talk to Two-Face. There's a great two-page layout of him walking through the halls of Arkham. Uh, And it's where the the colors get a bit more abstract here as well. I love the uh, the approach to Arkham. The way it's got, like, Arkham's face... Like the, his his head as the silhouette behind the the manor, yeah. And like this red, and like he's driving, you know, the Batmobile's driving up the red road, and the colors. Um, when it goes into Arkham, very reminiscent of um Dave McKean's Arkham Asylum, which is very intentional because Batman actually mentions on the way there that he once spent a night in Arkham, and that's a reference to that story. Yeah, that uh McKean did with Grant Morrison. But yeah, the, the the coloring and the art gets a lot more abstract once he gets in there, and it is very reminiscent of that book. Uh, I, I'm a sucker for when he starts talking about Amadeus Arkham building the place and the history of the Arkham man, like mansion. I love that stuff. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm into that. It was one of the best things in the video game as well. Was uh, just all these teases of the history of the place. And uh, also, just on a side note, in terms of video games, while we're on that, one of the few games that did it properly and actually just plays the the audio logs as you're going and doesn't make you stop and listen to it. Is a game recently game. upset you with this? It's a lot of games now. You make me sit in the menu and listen. <laughs> I mean, even, even games I love, like the um, Mass Effect games did that, where they had the audio logs and the codexes. Like, you had to sit... You, you know, It read them out, but you had to sit in there for it to read to, them to, out. To give to a bit of credit where credit is due, I do remember Dead Space doing it before Arkham Asylum. It was a year prior. Dead Space oh, oh, did it. Uh, obviously, I'm not saying Darkham's the only game that did yeah. it. I'm just saying there is a trend of games not doing it now, and they did it properly. Yeah. So I because Dead Space that. even did it with videos, where the little video would be in front of your character as you're walking around. So it was like a neat little uh... a superior method of, yeah. of doing audio logs. Anywho, uh, there's a little bit with Barbara talking to Alfred uh, and trying to ask how he is, and Alfred sort of says he's fine, and Barbara gives him shit for like. Why do men never just say how they are? Because you're clearly something's troubling you. Although it does acknowledge that maybe Batman wouldn't exist if men just talked about their feelings, which I thought was a really fun little uh, jab from her. Uh, it's the uh, men would rather become Batman than go to therapy. Although she <laughs> that, did become means. Batgirl, though, so she's there's a little bit, I mean, very different path to get there, but still, you know, I'm just... <laughs> yeah. A little, little, little bit uh, there. I, I did enjoy the panel, though, of her looking at her outfit and the reflection was putting the cowl on her face. I thought that was that a nice, was good, yeah. nice little touch. 
but yeah, so he goes to talk to Two Face, does Batman, and that's where the conversation about the the third voice, this voice coming from somewhere else. Uh, it's not one of his personalities, and that's a really interesting thing because as we realize we're getting into cosmic horror, the idea of someone, particularly someone who's psychotic potentially, getting messages through the the ether, is a very interesting idea, and. Sure enough, uh, we, you know, we get this idea of, uh, it's like, it, when, when Two-Face sees it later, it's like, uh, it's like another Two-Face, but instead of being split down the middle, it's the faces split, like, across horizontally. So, yeah. you get, like, the bottom half is all, you know, the, the disgusting, you know, burned half, and then the top half's normal. And it's basically saying, hey, Harvey, we've got a message for Batman. Uh, you know, tell him, tell him that the Batman from below has the boy Batman below. Yeah, yeah, and he's going to make a, a Robin out of him, which you know means we should go back and talk about all that stuff with a kid. This yeah. is the just really briefly before we do. Yeah, um, this is really interesting because it implies there are more forces than just the one that escaped. Um, and I think when you're mm. reading the first conversation with Two Face and Batman, there's a there's a assumption maybe on your part that oh this is that thing projecting somehow into into him, but this is clearly something else because this is warning him. What you know this is oh yeah yeah this is another entity possibly a good entity or at the very least not as bad. If not, if not good, <laughs> it's at least countering. Yeah, Batman below. Yeah. So yeah, the big thing that happens here is that the uh, terrible trio go after the kid. And the kid tries to hold the gun up to them, but, you know, he's a kid, he's scared, he's never used one before, I, I suspect. You know, it's certainly the implication I get from his nerves in the scene. That yes. said, though, obviously there's a very intentional thing he says here, where when they say you're just a boy, he says, I'm not a boy, I'm vengeance. And obviously that's a Batman line. Like, that's a very yeah. intentional choice to give him that. And right away you're like, oh, this is a kid who could become a Robin. And of course, what the book's doing here is that it's going to twist that, because it's not Batman who finds him, it's the Batman below who finds him. The Batman below swoops in and decapitates the shark member of the terrible trio. I, I love, we don't know it's the other Batman at first because they're just like, oh shit, Batman's here. Nope, not dealing with that. Oh, sure. I mean, I, on the decapitation page itself, I kind of assumed it, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, I assumed it, it wasn't clear, him. But but... The first couple of pages where Batman's there. Sure, you yeah, don't yeah. Know. Uh, but yeah, it's this great page where just this red streak of blood that really sticks out against the blues in the background. Uh, and the kid's just like wide eyes in shock. And then, you know, you, you... when you see from behind there, it says, worry not. One, I love the lettering. No box, just this this really jagged, harsh lines. It's and, also a little the... distorted. There's like some chromatic aberration going on with it. Yeah, and then also, the... Um, it is so long. It's very uh, Kelly Jones-esque. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, and then the full page spread, the reveal holding the shark head in his hand. And I say shark head, it's just a mask over a head, obviously, but uh, yeah. this, this isn't like the the other book, you know, Batman and Robin, where they've actually got the shark heads now. This is just, just a guy in a mask. Yeah. But he's holding this head, and he says, he can't hurt you now, child. But notably, this Batman creature has Cthulhu-esque tentacles coming from under his cowl. The moment this got to Bat-Thulu, <laughs> I, I flipped from, okay, I mean, this is okay, to I am reading every page of the rest of this series, no matter what. This was the, this is where it became what it is. This is where it became, and there's an argument to say it should have been a bit more engrossing, perhaps, from the get-go, but 
it was good before this. This elevated into holy shit. Okay, okay, this is an idea. I and then it get, yeah, the pages right after this as well are like okay, we're doing cosmic horror. The very next couple pages is this ethereal darkness of swirling sky, and it's you know it's the the the, the text saying we are Gotham has got like the the fainter like bigger version of it behind it. You know, it's like. It, it just it really gives you this idea of like a chanting happening as opposed to just. I, I think it's really interesting because it's not just chant. Like uh, the bottom panels are where it seems that like we are Gotham. It, that you could read it as like a a chanting, like you know, like there's a there's a there's an echo, right? But then you see it on the other ones, like like the just the text. Oh, after guarding the you know the door for a hundred years, the creature has escaped at the top. And I think it, for me, it plays more just like it's this. Uh, this projection into the void, this huge space, and it's like this echo back, not not like an echo from from an audience, but just like there's there's this like mm. you know, it's, it's just it's hitting like a wall so far away almost. Yeah, it does look a void. It looks like this is the, whatever's beyond that door. This looks like the space that's beyond the door is just this empty darkness. Effectively, yeah, there's like hints of shapes, like 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 sand dunes or like mountains yeah. almost or region like it's it, it's hard to tell intentionally but yeah so this is like you know the the court of owls guy waking up and the other owls saying what's happened and they're like okay this other house and the owls is not to be trusted we have more you know traitors in our midst kind of thing and they talk about how well we don't have another talon at the ready so we have to try and fix the one that get injured by the batman below like right now and they're like, okay, well, fear best of them, we have to get them ready, like, you know, quickly, like, get, get them patched up. So we get this big, it's actually a two-page layout now I'm looking at it, but uh, the second half of it is almost entirely this talon with his outfit off. He's this long-haired guy who I suspect we're going to learn more about as time, given that, just because they're giving him this moment of like, hey, we're resuscitating this, this talon and putting them back out there, I suspect we're going to get to know him a bit more because of this. Yeah, whether or not it's someone we know, it's hard to, like I say, maybe you're right that it's Azrael. I don't think so, but I'm I can't not putting rule money it out. in that. It's just because of the way they, this, this full page spread, you know, revealing it, them just it, made me think it was someone we knew. That's fair. I think, though, it might be someone who Batman has a history with, at least, potentially. Mm. Um, maybe they're, they're taking that idea from the original Call of Owl story where, where, you know, Dick was supposed to be. Uh, a talent at one point like he was you know marked for that and kind of taking that idea i don't think this is dick by any means no but the no. idea of it being someone that batman should have known or you know would know uh, is kind of part of this i think what's interesting to me about this obviously they're saying hey we have to go and work with the batman we have to this this thing has to be taken in no matter the cost so we have to work with batman because he's the one up above that's doing all this shit like that's interesting conceptually that they're going to try and just you know cooperate I, with them I love how confident this uh, th this member of the cause is. Like, oh, what Batman refuses to to help us, and like he he won't. Like he won't. Batman will join because this is that bad. Like he yeah. he will join us in this. Well, once he understands the severity of what's going on, he's not going to have a choice. Basically, yeah. So that's really interesting. I think so. That, that's cool. I think I think what I like about this is that between this, between the fact that they were in the video game that came out, you know, last year or two years ago now. I think it's interesting that the Court of Owls are probably the newest thing that has just now just become one of those Batman villains that writers can use. Like, this is probably how people who are older than us felt about Bane, because Bane was this new thing in, like, 1992 that was like, okay, you're interested in this new villain, 
and he's just for this story but for us he was already established to the point where it felt normal for other writers to bring him out whenever they wanted I think it's to it's really interesting that around that period there is a few characters like that that have stuck around like like bane azrael uh even harley quinn right yeah the, the, yeah there's been a lot less of that over the recent years she's a different obviously origin raz was just a few years prior as well he wasn't that old at that point i just think it's interesting because yeah. i feel like professor pig stuck around from the morrison run i feel like court of owls is easily the biggest thing that's like oh no this is now just a staple of one of the batman's rogues gallery where you can whip out the court of owls I now mean, if you want to it's it's possibly it's it's clearly snyder's legacy to the bat mythos yeah obviously he worked on batman a lot he did a lot of stuff but that's the thing that he long term is going to be remembered for as he introduced the court of owls right as as part of the the batman mythos and it, they are sticking around long term absolutely yeah uh, they're like, there they've popped up in other people's books for sure since he stopped writing but the fact that they're in this which is a you know this is your sort of standalone black label prestige miniseries that's kind of using continuity but it's not in continuity I think kind of establishes them as no, this is like an evergreen bat villain concept that can just be used whenever now. And they've popped up in they popped up in some of the, the animated movies. Not even the ones that are like not not directly adapting yeah. all our stuff, but they just they've been there. Oh, didn't um, they do it in one of the they did it in the, that was it the Gotham show? The the, the one with uh Well maybe the Gotham show as well, but I was thinking they did Gotham Knights as well, a TV show, which only lasted a season. I think they may have done that? Some, I don't know. Maybe it was Gotham. I don't know. They were in one of those shows. There was definitely some cool stuff yeah. in one of them. So, yeah. and, and like you mentioned the game as well. Like they, they 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 pop up a lot in terms of for their relative recent creation. You know, they're about a decade old, yeah. give or take. It's just it's just interesting to me that we're at that point now where when they revealed that this was a Court of Owls thing, I thought, oh, that's cool. And you know, I don't think Snyder's runs that great. I think it goes really downhill as it goes on. But the Court of Owls as a creation, I think, are pretty solid and. Yeah, I was kind of, oh, that's kind of neat that we're doing a Court of Owls thing here and we're tying them into a cosmic horror thing because like, they do kind of feel like a cult. So them being yeah. tied to the preservation of this thing behind the door is actually kind of neat. So it, it feels old school Lovecraftian in that, okay, we've got this cult protecting a cosmic entity under, under the city, right? Like it, it definitely has that vibe to it. Like obviously it's gotham but if you if you wrote this as oh it's a arkham not asylum but you know arkham the the town slash city from lovecraft mythos and just change a couple of the names it definitely plays almost exactly the same i think that's why it works here yeah and this final cliffhanger which i already got before he said it like when i realized that oh this this bat you know is is taking this kid I already immediately thought oh this is going to be like a twisted like he's not going to be bruce's robin this is going to be like this evil cthulhu versions robin and what does that mean what does what does that mean for what this kid becomes is it going to like inspire the worst possible impulses and what his desires and need for vengeance is you know, as opposed to what batman did for his robins so and maybe this the story of this book is really going to be the fight for this kid's soul in a lot of ways maybe depending on where it goes so you know yeah. you know beyond just stopping you know bat from causing the apocalypse or whatever he's going to do <laughs> so yeah it makes sense yeah no so i i was into this the entire time uh i thought it was was a decent enough written book with fantastic art and then it just shot to the moon with the reveal of what it was about yeah absolutely so 
very very good excited for issue two uh, i don't know if this is a three issue or a four issue prestige book uh but oh that's a good question i don't actually know yeah, I don't know. A lot of these have been three with the because the page count kind of works them out to roughly a, a six issue mini. Yeah, there's been a couple of fours though, which is why I, I can never been a remember. Couple. Uh, yeah, but regardless, uh, that is Batman City of Madness issue one. Uh, what are you rating it, Connor? I'm gonna give it an 8.5, which like. With, like, it almost is like, like other issues are easily going to be hitting nines. Uh, if it continuing from the back, like third of this book, mm. but I think it just it's a bit of a it's a slow build for that first like you know two thirds of this. I uh, but I'm okay. It's all in the same issue, right? That, that, that's that's very intentional pacing, but it does just hold it back just from getting quite that nine for this issue. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I'm going. I'll probably agree with that and give it the 8.5 kind of for similar reasons. I actually like a lot of the things individually as it's building up. I like Batman's sort of like dissecting of what Two-Face is up to in the background to that building that he was in. I thought it was an interesting little bit because there's not a lot of just straight Batman stuff in this, uh, but I appreciated that. I like the idea of the, the voice coming to Two-Face and it being mistaken for a third personality. I thought that's a really cool idea. Probably the only thing in the art I didn't love maybe was how Two-Face actually looked. It was probably the only thing in the whole book where I was like, I'm not necessarily into the choice here that they've, they've taken, but it, it, you know, it's, it's a minor quibble, yeah. all things considered. Just go, go on. But the art, the art in general, obviously, is fantastic. There's some great spreads. Bat Tulu as a concept is fantastic. I love the Court of Owls inclusion, the build up to this door being open because I was I got excited by what it might be, and then obviously once we got to see it, it was fantastic. And the idea that it's going to create its own Robin and what that might do to the kid psychologically is exciting. So, uh, no, very good. Absolutely. Um, just I was just searching to see how many issues it is, mm -hmm. and I found it, it was like the original announcement that gave it to me. Um, uh, it says three issues. What I thought was interesting is given I don't remember reading any of this. Obviously, we pre-read the announcement, but that was months ago at this point. Um, it's a pseudo-sequel to Arkham Asylum Serious House on a Serious Earth and listed mm. Snyder's Court of Owls and Jim Starlin's Batman the Cult as an inspiration for the series. I, think I mean, that makes um, sense, yeah. It, uh, yeah, all of that, it shows in, in the book and, you know, obviously, uh, you know, pretty much all the stuff we've just kind of talked about. We, we didn't mention that cult book specifically, but we talked about the Court of Owls acting like a cult here. Yeah, so, uh, I, I think it's just a, a case of, like, I usually forget what we read in solicits by the time when the books come out. Oh, absolutely. That that article there, that when that was announced, that was July that that was yeah, announced. Yeah, I was never so. going to remember any of that. Which I was happy, exactly. though, because when we got to Bat-Thulu, I was like, oh, F yeah. Like, <laughs> like, I'm glad I didn't know that. I remember it going in. It was, it was the sort of thing where once I got to that page, I remembered fully seeing... Because uh, this, this book started, I think, originally, Christian Ward posted an image of Bat-Thulu on Twitter and was like, oh, one day I'll write my Batman book. And obviously, uh, you know, at some point, someone at DC was like, do, do, do you want to? And, uh, you know, come pitch us the story. And um, I remember seeing that image, and I, all of a sudden I was like, oh, it's this book. Uh, but, yeah, I didn't remember going in. Which, mm. again, I'm, I'm glad about, because it was a great moment getting to that page. Yeah, so... There you go. 
Uh, that wraps up the books, which will take us out of the part of the show where we pick our favourite stuff of the week, favourite panel slash moment, favourite cover, favourite art, and of course our top five books. So, uh, we'll start off with panel slash moment. Connor, what do you have? I'm taking the easy one. I'm sorry, but I'm taking the Batthulu reveal. I mean, there's no rule that says I can't also take it, so... There's not, but I just want to get in there and just, I'm, I'm having that moment. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I, yeah, I guess I want to. I'm just trying to think of anything else that I would have instead. Uh, there's a couple of great moments in Danger Street that I could pick, but honestly, Bathory is the moment of the week. It's the moment I'm going to remember the most. So, yeah, Bathory. Uh, as far as cover of the week goes, I'm just kind of browsing through them just now. I think the one that sticks out to me the most is the McKellyannon variant for Green Lantern. Uh, oh, really? I thought it was okay. I didn't love it as much as I thought I would once I clicked on it in full. Uh, no, I like it. You know, it's got the white background, but it's, it's the green and the reds. That contrast is there. Uh, the main cover is quite good too as well, admittedly. It's a very similar it's concept. Not... My favorite of the Green Lantern covers, the Doc Shana one. I mean, I can't argue with Doc Shana. It's the very green one. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, it's good. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, um, I like that. I I like, uh, obviously, City of Madness has got a couple of nice covers. Although, I wouldn't say I like the covers of that as much as I like the interior art. For whatever reason, I think the interior art's better <laughs> than the covers. But, I mean, maybe I'm just being weird. That is weird. I think yeah, that, I don't know. All, all four covers for that book are great. Oh, none of them are bad. Like, don't, don't read that as, you know anything negative on them uh but yeah um as far as picking a final though there's also a shaner variant for uh world's finest teen titans with wally again very simple white background but but nice um yeah so yeah i don't know I, i'm probably going to go with that uh yan and green lantern variant i think that's my pick fair enough um obviously we spoke about all the good ones for me all the City of Madness covers, all the all the variant ones, are head and shoulders above every other cover. Oh, actually, I'll throw, I'll throw another mention out, actually. The, the Karen Grant variant for Sandman is quite nice. Mm, which one? Uh, it's, it's not bad. Yeah, yeah it's like he's walking through a kind of... Or in front like of the an explosion, explosion behind him. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. But it really uses the, the strong highlights to kind of sell the heat of it. Good. Yeah. No, I'm I'm looking at the same madness covers. They're they're all my favorite covers. The uh, the Christian Ward, the one in fifty variant. That's the image I think that I was talking about just then. That mm-hmm. where he posted that on Twitter that started it. Um, but I'm not. I'm just debating. Do I do I like the Senkovich cover or the Simmons cover more? Probably the Senkovich. But I mean, oh, both those artists are like top tier artists of all time, and having to pick between them is hard. <laughs> but. Yeah, I'll I'll just edge it to the Senkovich one. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. All right, art of the week. Oh, see, I'm madness. Not even close. It's not as obvious for me. Um, you got Fornes, so because yeah, I have Fornes, yes, uh, and that's not discounting the fact that Zermanico and Lipacino were also turning in excellent books this week. It says a lot that those two artists are obviously very good, and it doesn't even come close. Yeah, I. I think I'm probably going to go with Ward for City of Madness because it was different and it was doing a lot of fun stuff with the, you know, the Cthulhu stuff and all that. But in Fornes, like, I've given Fornes Art of the, the Week. At Pro- least probably eight times yeah. over the course of that book. Like, seriously, he he's yeah. won it almost every issue. So 
Uh, I'm quite happy to give it a award on this occasion. All right. Top five books. On you go. Um, Sea of Madness is far and away first. Mm-hmm. Then, then Green Lantern, I think. And then, uh, I'm kind of mixed on after that. Um, it's probably World's Finest Teen Titans before Batman and Robin. Yeah. And obviously Sandman's Stone Dead last. Okay. Uh, my number one is Danger Street. Still, I think that's the best overall. Uh, then number two is City of Madness. Number three is... Green Lantern, number four, World Finest Teen Titans, number five is yeah, probably Batman and Robin, arguably Sandman, no, I'll go Sandman, I think that was just a little more interesting between the two, but it's very close, but I think ultimately that was just a little bit more interesting Um, but there was no books I, I hated this week that's nice. Mm. Always good. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to Matt being back next week, though. You're making me miserable. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry for having higher standards. Speaking next week, uh, here's uh, here's what's coming out from DC next week. We have Nightwing 107. We have Batman Superman World's Finest 20. Superman Issue 7. Titans Issue 4. Catwoman 58, which is part of the crossover, so... Uh, well, we'll be looking at it. I, I just like to say, I'm looking at that cover there, and it says, Catch me if you can. And it's like, Catch. I hate it. Yeah, I hate I it with see, a passion. I see, I see it, yes. Uh, we have Justice League versus Godzilla versus Kong issue one. Oh, yeah. I the week. <laughs> uh, we also got Batman White Knight Presents Generation Joker issue six. We have Jay Garrick, The Flash issue one. We have Hot Girl issue four. Green Lantern War Journal issue two. City Boy issue five. Cyborg issue four. But uh, Harley Quinn, Black, White, and Red are issue four, and then Sandman Universe, Nightmare Country, The Glass House, issue five. That is a mouthful of a title. Like, how many subtitles can you have? God damn. Looking forward to the Harley Quinn issue. It's got a Zoe Thurgood story in it, which mm. I absolutely really need to read. Yeah. Uh, I have quite a... I've got like nine books next week. It's quite a healthy week, to be honest. Uh, and I'm looking forward to a number of them. A couple of issue ones. Uh, War Journal issue one was really great, so I'm looking forward to more of that. Uh, obviously, Nightwing's always a... You still in Hogan? No, I dropped that after issue two. Is Matt? It's a good question. I don't think he read the last one because it was a busy week, maybe. Uh, this is a busy week again. And let's be honest, Matt is 100% prior- prioritizing Justice League versus Godzilla versus Kong over any other book. So yeah. I don't know why, though. He's going to watch his favorite eight be bitch slapped again by multiple characters this time. Probably. Like, yeah. Godzilla's going to beat him up again. Superman's going to wipe the floor with him. Flash will wipe the floor with him. And then somehow, with nothing but preparation and preparation alone, Batman is bringing that big dumb ape down. It's going to be great. It's going to be glorious. Does Green Lantern do his own kaiju construct? Absolutely. Easy peasy. In, in, in which issue? That's a tougher question. What I'm more interested in, though, is do we get at least one panel of Grodd reacting to King Kong existing? That's what I want to see. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, uh, hell, maybe, maybe Grodd will try and communicate with him. 
It'd be like, hey, my fellow ape. <laughs> oh, hey. It mentions your uh, your legacy number in for Superman next time. I hope oh, you're, nice! Uh, I, hope you, I hope you've got the right number. I think I do. I think I do. Uh, it's on the it's on the cover, not as an actual legacy number in the same spot. Oh, they might be there as well. But it is there in the same spot? I think it has a big banner on it as well, saying uh, yeah, it's oversized eight fifty. Under number seven, it says legacy seven fifty. So yeah, eight fifty uh, or eight fifty. Sorry, yeah, of course. Uh, it says in big massive writing in the bottom right. It's because issue seven, okay? I mixed up that digit with the first of the triple digits, okay? And uh, for the record, yes, I had last issue down as eight four nine. So Oh well done you. So correct. Uh, honestly, that's one of the easier ones you should have got because they've they've definitely done anniversary issues for that before. The point is, is that as far as I'm concerned, my Green Latin numbering is the most accurate on the internet right now. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. It's it's not. Unless DC, DC tell me otherwise, in which case they are being cheeky, but I'll accept what they tell no, me. No, no, no. You are not including the Green Lantern, which you definitely should be counting the Green Lantern. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I disagree with that. But, uh, regardless, that's what's coming next week. So it's a healthy week of comics, and we should have solicits as well. So, uh, look forward to that. So... Yeah, you can support the content and support the podcast uh, by going to patreon.com slash TV and supporting us over there. Help keep the show coming and you get a little bit early access at the $5 tier and up uh, whenever it's ready on the Saturday night. Um, otherwise, though, you can support us by rating the podcast with five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. If you're watching the YouTube version, like, subscribe. Uh, but all these things help people find the show. So please do. Uh, at DC Comics Podcast on Twitter uh, or x if we're calling it that now i feel like this is going to be a divide assuming x survives which is a big f actually to be honest with the current leadership uh if it does survive there's going to be this generational thing where in like 10 years time there's going to be these young like 15 year olds who just don't understand when you say twitter anyway what's twitter <laughs> it's so funny like, other places in your your town say where the locals will call a certain you know like a, a bar or whatever you buy a name that it hasn't been for like years but like so new people will come and, and but they'll call it by the new name not that i know of i d- i definitely remember people when i was younger like older people calling a snickers a marathon mm. and them just being but, stubborn about that name change so where i'm from there's a like a a venue club bar that was called the coliseum known affectionately as the collie and it probably hadn't been the collie since I was like ten or eleven, and it, and it changed its name to Casbah. Mm. And you could always tell, especially you could tell it with the uni students that came in each year, because you'd you, you know people would say, "Oh, you know, you're going to the the do the, the collie this weekend," and they'd be like, "What? Where? What?" And it, it, without fail, like you could always tell the outsiders by just that one thing. And that was, you know, like, even up to, like, a good, you know, 10 or 15 years after the name had changed. I probably still now, to be honest. Yeah, but in this case, it's young people, so it's not outsiders. It's, if anything, it's insiders, because they're still inside the womb. Ooh, harsh. Uh, slash inside the testicles, depending on how oh, you want to. No. <laughs> Depending on how you judge it. Yeah. 
um but yeah i don't know just just uh i thought to end the show on i'm hungry though so it's time to go so thank you for joining us everyone uh, this has been dc comics podcast comics from the multiverse episode 377 we'll see you next week for 378 with matt's glorious return so you can talk about king kong uh but thank you once again we'll see you next time keep reading dc comics and remember to never get lost in the speed force Thank you.